Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your host Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The Ace of Podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll review Battle in the Valley and cover all latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Please support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the network's podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Young boy, how you doing, man? I had to uh, unmute myself. I'm doing well. <laughs> <laughs> We're here. Um, yeah. Yep. Ready for uh, another episode of Keeping It Strong Style. You know, let, let's just get this out of the way before we start. I, I'm not doing well. All right. And here's why. <laughs> we attended the NWA taping in Tampa, Florida last night. And my God, the residual <laughs> effects. <laughs> I mean, this was literally the worst professional level wrestling show or TV taping I've ever attended in my entire life. And I, I need to make public apologies to everyone that I invited Peter, Zach, and you, Jeremy, I'm sorry (laughs) that I, I $10 was too much to pay for those shows. They should have comped our tickets afterwards and said, I'm sorry. (laughs) Here's your money back. (laughs) Here's your money back. Oh yeah, dude, that was, that was rough, um, especially for a quote-unquote major league promotion. And I mean, it, it seemed like it was a few years ago. NWA was doing cool stuff. You know, you had 10 pounds of gold, doing all the stuff of like Nick Aldis and Cody and bringing all these guys in. And now they're they're inside the little PBS studio here in Tampa, Florida. 
all kinds of yahoos on this card that I've never seen or heard of <laughs> wrestle before. Like, I feel like every guy would come out, you'd be like, who is that? Where Where is that guy? I'm like, I have no Bro, there idea. were so many issues. Like, they they weren't announcing the wrestlers, so unless you happen to know who they were, well, you didn't they, they were, but the, the speaker you was couldn't hear so low, you couldn't hear anything. Yeah, so I didn't know who half the fucking wrestlers were. Someone would come out, and they'd get cheered, and then they would start kind of like, acting a little bit heelish in the middle of the match. And then by the time it was over, they were getting full on booed. And like, I, I, we were seeing like face heel shifts. Like it was WrestleMania 13 all night. Like <laughs> it was hard to tell who was what, what was going on. I mean, there were match, there were literally matches, Jeremy, like multiple, multiple matches where I was like, those motherfuckers didn't do anything that I couldn't do. And I've had two training matches. <laughs> this was very low level um yeah and there was one guy who wrestled uh he wrestled braun yeah and i thought he looked good i'm not gonna sit here and be like oh he's the future but he was the one guy that was like he looks professional he's got some promise but i don't even know who the fuck he was because they didn't (laughs) announce who anybody was Uh, another issue was um they didn't so they have this awesome stage setup. So you're like, oh, that looks pretty professional, even though like, you know, being in the crowd, there's only a couple hundred people. You're like, it's not a great setup, but at least that looks professional. So you're thinking that the wrestlers are going to make their entrances from there. No, they're, they're coming from the, the literally the hallway, which is the only the, entrance the same one of the fans the are walking. <laughs> yeah. So if I've got to go and take a leak, which I did, because I don't I don't know, I get antsy at wrestling shows. So like I got to like leave. I have to walk in front of the cameras, in front of all of the wrestlers, in front of all the, the people watching, and then walk in the hallway where the boys and girls are sitting there. And they're like, what do you need? And I'm like, bro, I'm, I'm trying to go to the bathroom. Like, the fuck? What do you mean, what do I need? Like, <laughs> this is not an entrance. This is a hallway for the PBS studio. <laughs> <laughs> this is Big Bird's bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know, man. And then they didn't have music. I guess they're gonna put the music in for all the wrestlers and post. I don't. I don't think they use music at all on those NW on the wrestling on, show on the power no shows. Yeah, so they just come out like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, it's so bad! It's so bad. Yeah, uh, I thought uh, so Kobe Carino uh, looked pretty good. Um, yeah, he's been doing I some guess. good stuff on the Indies, but yeah, there was not. The show went long. I don't know why it needed to go long. Bro, at one point, the guy's like, we have several more matches left. <laughs> yeah, they're getting down to that. And he's like, no worries, folks. We only have several more to go. We're like, what does that mean? Several. And he's like, I, I didn't keep count. Like, it's a shit show. And, oh, and I've been to a lot of TV tapings, right? And it's not uncommon for in between the episodes them to like stop and make you aware we're starting the second episode we're starting the third episode you know that sort of thing Mm -hmm. but most of the shows are pretty seamless you know it's literally not that different from being at a live wrestling experience this was not that like they're like doing production and long pauses and like letting you know breaking the suspense and letting you know like this shit's not real like we're (laughs) we're shooting a tv show right now you're just like what yeah, pretty much after every match, it was like, yeah, a long pause. You hear, you hear the guy talking to production. He's like, can you hear me? Like, uh, give me give me the countdown. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know, man. It was bad. Really, 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 really yeah. bad. And it's been, a, you know, affecting me all day, so. Mm. Well, yeah. <laughs> I highly recommend that nobody, nobody just don't go to NWA taping. <laughs> yeah, don't go to that. <laughs> oh, man. I went, to, I went to see my friends, and they were in the main event. We left before the main event, because I was like, all right, I can't. We already did three hours. I can't do any more. <laughs> any more of this. Yeah. This is bad. All right. Well, let's talk about a great show that happened this weekend. Uh, New Japan. I didn't see any great shows this weekend. You don't think this was a great show? No, nah, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling's Battle in the Valley that happened this past Saturday from the San Jose Civic. Had an attendance of 2,147 sold out house here for battle. Sold out. Suck it, Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> don't need money. I guess Shanae or Shinihan don't need money. Sell <laughs> <laughs> out a 2,000 seat building in San Jose, you know? But, you know, Tanahashi and, and Okada can't go on last because Mercedes sold out the building, right? <laughs> Oh man! So uh, there was two pre-show matches. Uh, both I did not see. Did you watch the pre-show, bro? I didn't watch. It. <laughs> I thought you watched it. No, I did not. Uh, I was going to come on here and be like, I forgot to watch this. Jeremy, <laughs> give us the. Uh, well, see, let I, us... I forgot this show was starting at 10 p.m. Eastern our time. Yeah, I, I thought it was going to be like you know 8 p.m. start time, and I was like, oh wow, like. I need to stay up, so I watched Collision from oh, like dang. eight to ten, and then watched Battle in the Valley right afterwards. So I did not watch. Nah, I went to bed, bro, because I watched it the next morning. So you know, I was just like, I, I can't do that. Even on a weekend, like starting a show at ten, ending at like one, two in the morning. Like, nah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I can tell you, I'll look at the good folks over at Cage Match. Yeah, I have the and, I have the results. Uh, Matt Vandegrift defeated Goldie six minutes and nine seconds. That's a strong survivor. So Matt Vandegrift continues his streak, and then Stephanie Vicker defeated Via Van to become number one contender for the Strong Women's Championship. Yeah, but what are the Cage Match scores, Jeremy? <laughs> like you know, you just got results. I've got scores. All right, tell, tell colors. Tell. <laughs> What's the scores? <laughs> so it looks like uh, Matt Vandegriff and um, Goldie wrestled to a 4.68 average match. That's a that's a good little two two and three quarter star match. It's not bad. Two and a half. Um, the top comment is a decent little opening match with not a lot riding on it. I hadn't seen Goldie before, but he seems talented. As does Matt Vandegrift. Whoa, whoa, so. a, a lot not riding on it. It was a strong <laughs> survival. The loser is gone. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just telling you what they wrote. <laughs> um, looks like the Stephanie Vacor versus Viva Fawn match was uh, a little better received. Um, makes sense. They got a little bit more time. Six minutes, or I'm sorry, uh, 6.12 on cage match. That's probably like a little three star. Gentlemen, gentlemen's or ladies three. Ladies three, you know, gentle ladies three. Um, the top comment, which is pretty bad was this was an okay match, if a little unspectacular. There were some nice spots in here, but it never really felt like Viva Vaughn, who had last seen with TJPW, was in it with a chance. Stephanie Vakura got most of the offense, and Vaughn's comeback 
was only short lived. Makes sense. Little little job match for a job girl. Seventy you know? <laughs> vet She's a she's a known commodity, number one contender. So, um, yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll go back and watch this. Maybe I won't, you know. But we'll never talk about it on this show again. So. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so the main card opened up with a uh, six-man tag. We had Mister No Days Off, Fred Rosser, the Samoan Werewolf, Jacob Fatu, and the Roughneck Shota Umino defeating the Team Filthy team of Jarrell Nelson, Royce Isaacs, and Filthy Tom Lawler. Eight minutes and fifty-nine seconds. I really like this match, Jeremy. In fact, I'll I'll just say I really like this show across the board. And there are certain matches where, um, you know, I'm not going to give them maybe the highest score in the world uh, from my own perspective. But in terms of, like, the flow of the show and the variety and the presentation and just the vibes, you know, like, this was an awesome show. Like, a really enjoyable and fun show to watch. Um Dare I say it? I liked the show better than Wrestle Kingdom. Mm. That's just my personal prerogative. Hot I mean, takes. It's, it's not. It's not the dome, mind you, of course. Uh, but in terms of just like sitting down to watch a wrestling show, this was fun. Yeah, I mean, this, can, can you imagine awesome. if you put this show in a Tokyo Dome atmosphere? I don't know if it would work necessarily. Because, well, you'd have to like really do a lot of legwork to get a lot of these unknown commodities to the, you know, domestic crowds over. But yeah, it was, it was an awesome show to watch. And this match was just fun. Um, you know, they, they last week we kind of complained about the whole team filthy and Fred Rosser thing. And we were like, you know, last time we saw these guys in strong, they were showing each other respect and, and, you know, giving each other handshake and that didn't lead anywhere. Now they're on opposite ends. So what's the deal? Well, apparently, not saying they listen to this show, but they had that in mind. So there's definitely some storylines that are like through lines that are in the strong universe still that are running parallel to New Japan proper. And basically, Team Filthy is having dissension where uh, Jarrell Nelson and um, Royce Isaacs, the West Coast Wrecking Crew, they're not really vibing with you know, filthy Tom Lawler showing respect to their arch nemesis, Fred Rosser. And they let that be known all throughout the match. And there's, so there's a lot of tension between those two parties. And then all the meanwhile, you had, uh, Jacob Fatu just doing flips, (laughs) showing why he is just awesome. You know, like I'll tell you right now, he's the best member of the bloodline living. That's the best wrestling actor right now, period. Yeah, he got a great reaction from the crowd. He did a ton of uh, indie work uh, in the California area, so he was super over. Crowd was super into him, and he's doing a lot of cool stuff, like you mentioned, like moonsaulting, uh, throwing people around, just very imposing in the ring. Uh, so, yeah, he looked really good. And, yeah, we saw a lot of miscommunication, a lot of uh, dissension, like you mentioned, between uh, West Coast Wrecking Crew and Billy Tom, uh, you know, arguing on the tags. You know, Tom was trying to wrestle a little bit more clean, and these guys were, you know, doing the normal team filthy tactics. They were really taking it to uh, Fred Rosser, and Tom didn't like that. So that caused all kinds of issues and communication for them, which uh, broke down to uh, Shooter uh, getting the deaf rider on Jarrell Nelson. One, two, three. Shooter, Rosser, and Jacob Fatu get the win. Yeah, uh, they picked up the win here. Um, Umino had the big entrance, got a great reaction from the crowd. And uh, at the end of the match... 
Fred Rosser and um, Filthy Tom Waller, they started teasing more, you know, kind of tension between those two. Obviously, they've got a long storied history with one another in the strong brand. And then they slapped each other, kind of uh, echoing similar, uh, you know, segment that we saw earlier this uh, past last year with Nagata and Suzuki, where they don't really like each other, but they respect each other. They slapped each other and then they shook hands. And then that wasn't really going to vibe for West Coast Wrecking Crew. So they kind of took matters into their own hands at that point. Yeah, I watched the uh, the post-match promo on the backstage and they're like, Yo, we cut this man's hair twice. He said that he, he said he was gonna rape you in front of your family, and you're gonna shake his hand. You're gonna shake his hand. <laughs> like, I mean, they're not wrong. That that's what I was thinking too. Yeah, they, they, they got a point. Um, so yeah, that happened. And then uh, as Shooter was walking to the back, uh, Bushi jumped out the crowd uh, and started attacking him. Uh, but taking the mask off, it actually was. Jack Perry, real glass. Jack Perry, cry me a river. Took the mask off. Big beard, uh, laid out. Shota Umino got in the ring. Took out his AEW contract. Ripped it. The original. Up. <laughs> uh, and ripped it up. So it seems like Jack Perry, I guess, is going to be making a stay in New Japan for a bit. Maybe, bro. He was in Wembley. Got into the fight with CM Punk. DJ Woo Kid told us all about it this past couple weeks ago. <laughs> and uh, and Jack Perry got suspended. And while he was suspended, I imagine that he pulled a little espionage action and broke into the offices in Jacksonville when, you know, ap- after hours, you know, swooped in, found his original contract, evaded the police, and was able to make it to San Jose with his original contract just so he could rip it up you know publicly so everybody could see it and tony khan was aghast because he was like (laughs) damn it called mega and he was like do we still have the original do we still have the original (laughs) (laughs) um i will say this i liked this angle a lot i'm a big mark for any time someone is gonna wear put a mask on and then jump somebody out of the crowd you don't know who it is whether that's jericho whether that's sting I love when guys do this shit. So, and bro, this, this angle got the wrestling world talking for six hours. And then now it's done. No one's talking about it anymore. But for those six hours, everybody was big mad about this whole thing with Jack Perry. The new Japan fans were mad. The (laughs) AEW fans were mad. The Jack Perry apologists were mad. The punk fans were mad. Like there were every, there was nobody happy. It seemed like that this was happening. But uh, I Rich, liked it. Rich Latta was happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it was cool. We haven't seen Jack Perry since the incident with Punk, leading back to All In at Wembley. He's been suspended. Uh, he hasn't. You know, basically, we've been told that he he was suspended. Nobody in the media that's been called on on any of these press conferences have, have have had the balls to ask Tony Khan, when is Jungle Boy expected to return? <laughs> right. Which you would think that should be a question that the press should be asking him. I don't know. Um, but I digress. But yeah, he he showed up, um, attacked show to Umino. I saw a lot of discourse about people being like, you know, Umino sitting here thinking like House of Torture back in Japan. Put that in the rear view. I can relax. <laughs> 
you know, make it to America, have a nice little fun little opener and not really worry too much. And then, you know, Jack Perry is like, nah, -uh. <laughs> not today, <laughs> <laughs> not on my watch. <laughs> so basically, from what I understand is Jack Perry is now the leader of House of Torture America. Mm. <laughs> yeah. uh, we got some questions here. Uh, so front of the show and uh, fellow social suplexer uh, Imp says, I already know young boy's reaction to comparing this Jack Perry excursion to a certain ungovernable lads one. But with me sending this in now, the Kiss Boys listenership will too. Josh, what about this Naito excursion for Perry, huh? I did not make that uh, analogy. That was Rich Latta. And I personally, I do see the comparison points. Um, but I also think that there are differences all the same. Um, you know, I guess part of it is like, we don't really know why this is happening. Like, is this, is the, the nice thing about it is they're kind of blending the kayfabe and the reality. So, you know, this guy shows up, rips up his uh, contract, puts on a scapegoat. Um, yeah. He puts on the armband and it says scapegoat. And he was, he clearly is alluding to the idea that he was scapegoated on, you know, incorrectly during the whole thing with punk. And there's a lot of people that kind of feel that that's the case. Um, and now it's like, is he really leaving AEW? Is he, on a quasi excursion is this you know i i don't know i re i remember they did something similar to this a couple years ago when um sammy guevara was supposed to be leaving aew quote unquote during the impact partnership and he went to impact and it it blew up and fell apart very quickly <laughs> <laughs> and he, ba he basically i think made two dates one match and was back in no time so um i don't know if this is hopefully this isn't that hopefully this is something that actually has longevity and meaningful um, purpose behind it. But I don't know if it is like just a one-off if we're just going to see this guy do strong dates or is he going to be exclusive to new Japan for a period of time until they're able and willing to work him back into the AEW fold. I don't know. Yeah, and, you know, we don't have the full cards for uh, New Beginning and Sapporo Night 1 and 2. There's still some slots open on those cards. So, yeah, I mean, they, they could slot him in on this uh, February tour, get him kind of in the mix there. Or, yeah, maybe it's something where it's just going to be he's on strong and this is all to build up him for a shooter at uh, Windy City Riot. Maybe this is the make good for for the weakness that's been portrayed between the New Japan and AEW partnership. And so basically New Japan had to give AEW Will Ospreay, Jay White, Juice Robinson, Aussie Open, <laughs> Kevin Kelly and Kevin Kelly. <laughs> but we get Jungle Boy. All right. That's the make good. So it's not quite so one sided. It's like, you know. 8515. We get the 15. That's that's Jungle Boy. You know, Jack Perry. Um, one thing I will I am a fan of Jack Perry. I, I don't think that I personally have the same um I don't see the same potential in him that a lot of his bigger supporters do, where they think he's like the future of the industry and he's gonna be a future top guy. Like I think we've already seen five years of him at this point, and I think that upper mid carter is like his glass ceiling and i think we've already kind of seen him hit that ceiling i don't see when i look at the guy i don't see and i've said this on this show i think most recently probably dating back to when he was going to face sonata for the title 
I think he's an incredible talent. And I think that he's got a lot of years left in the industry. And there's a lot of great stories you can tell with him. It's just like, I don't see him as like world champion, you know, top guy, future of the division. You know, that I, I don't see that with Jack Perry, but I'm totally fine with him coming to new Japan and working new programs and doing something different. And it, it, this reminds me in many ways of like what was going on with like Brian Pillman in the nineties. So it's just, it's very fun. It's kind of exciting. Hopefully the follow through is done well. Um, one thing I will say though, and this is the, the last negative thing I'll say about Jack Perry, that beard, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I get what they're doing and I understand. And it's like, you can try all you want to grow a giant beard and look as deranged and wild man as possible. But bro, he does not have the face for that type. of beard. Like, <laughs> He reminds me of Haley Joel Osmond when he was in a, the first time you ever saw Haley Joel Osmond as, as an adult with a beard. And you're like, Oh, that's a kid from six cents. That's jungle boy with a beard, bro. Like, <laughs> he doesn't look tough. Like, I'm sorry. Oh man. Yeah. I, I think uh, Jack Perry is great. Great wrestler. Um, definitely a guy you'd want on your roster. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to be a future world champion. Maybe, maybe not. But he's a very talented guy. And, yeah, I'm excited to see kind of where this is going to lead, especially if he's going to do some uh, dates in Japan. It's a fresh guy to have in there, a fresh opponent. We get some new matchups. And, yeah, I think it could be very exciting. New top junior. <laughs> top junior. This man uh, had a IWGP world heavyweight title match last year. This man's a heavyweight. So did Hiromu. But guess what? <laughs> Junior. <laughs> so uh next question here lee chang is bay two are you guys ready for jungle mania to run wild over new japan cry me a river brother jack perry's gimmick <laughs> in new japan should be starting fights with people that are leaving the company like if tama is leaving the company jack perry should just be his final feud slash match and once he leaves he takes credit for it i mean i think you're I think we're about to see Tama's last match in the coming <laughs> this coming weekend. So um, I did see something online where there was a, uh, have you seen the thing with um, the thing with um, Tiger Woods where he like gives, he like brings the person and gives them dap and everything like that. Someone's like, this is Kenta when he sees Jack Perry. Yeah. Like, Big dog, bring it in. <laughs> oh. Uh, then Barry Walsh says at least the AW partnership is back to being level with them getting Aussie open, Jay will, etc. But now we got Jack Perry. How long do you think he, he hangs around before the recall? That's a tough question. Um, I don't really know. I mean, like, you know, you have to take into consideration how new Japan is organized and it's, you know, a by tour process. Do I, do I see him sticking around and like working you know, several tours back to back and being in Japan all that time, probably not, but I wouldn't be surprised if we see him doing like a quasi part-time thing where like, maybe he's working the strong shows. Maybe he is coming in for some of those bigger dates for the tours. And maybe he's working like the one or two road to just before those shows to kind of like show face. Um, but that's the kind of the exciting thing with this. It's hard to, project what this is going to be i know some people are hoping it's going to be prolonged six months he goes through the g1 wins a title blah blah maybe that is the, the plan but we just really don't know i could also see it being a, a literal one-off and then he goes back to AEW, and then maybe it's just sort of uh 
you know, part-time sort of when they want to call them in every now and again, not unlike, uh, you know, um, like Lance Archer, you know, once or twice a year it could be that too. So it's, it's hard to say right now. Yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't seem like there's really a, a spot quote unquote for him on AEW TV right now. There's a lot of like top heels, a lot of stories going on right now. Um, you know, he was speculated to potentially be one of the people who could be the devil, but he was not the devil or a part of that group. So I don't think there's a huge rush to get him back on AEW TV right now. So I, I could see him. Yeah, doing some New Japan stuff for a while, doing some big matches, and then maybe goes back uh, later in the year. I did, um, when I was talking with Rich about this, he did say, like, this, it, provided he sticks around and he's on the tours, this would be, like, the first time in years where he's working multiple times per week, you know, and that might, like, advance him. But I kind of disagree a little bit. I don't know that the in-ring is so much what needs to be focused when it comes to jungle boy. I think it, to me, it's more projecting the star presence connecting with the crowd. I mean, I know that he connects on like the white meat baby face level, but it's only going to get you so far. Like nobody was and just, so it makes sense. It's like, you know, people liked, you know, um, who's an example I'll, I'll just throw a name out there like brian pillman in the early 90s people like brian pillman but no one was calling for brian pillman to carry wcw and be the world champion it's kind of where jungle boy was you know a guy that people like opening act you know but not someone where it's like he should be in the spot that hangman adam page or you know kenny omega are in and he needs to be the world champion like people weren't talking about this guy that way i think that he needs to figure out what his thing is going to be moving forward. And maybe, maybe time spent apart in new Japan would get a buzz about him. And maybe this could be a really good learning excursion, not unlike Naito or Nakamura's time in Mexico, but, uh, and maybe that's what they're doing. I don't know. It'd be, that'd be pretty cool if that's the case. Yeah. I think that would really work out for him and would help him out a lot. And yeah, kind of really kind of flush out this new, scapegoat wild man kind of character and then yeah come back to aw to be a top guy making the leader of the bull club hey uh, got long hair white man work works for a lot of other white men right (laughs) uh let's move on to the next matchup here we had mascar dorada and volador jr defeating our good friend rocky romero and soberano jr 11 minutes and 11 seconds i love these these lucha matches man i don't know I'm very excited for Fantastic uh, Mania tour coming up. And this yeah. was like a, a little bit of a preview for that. But like, you know, I understand that when you watch strong these days, the way that, that everything's arranged, they're not completely like uh, you're not getting exported the a hundred percent true authentic new Japan um production and and experience but that's kind of okay that strong is its own thing Mm -hmm. and i love that they're incorporating guys from the cmll uh partnership to come in and have the one and it you know if it'd be different if the whole card was overrun with this stuff but it's not it's like you're getting one lucha libre offering match and it's really fun it doesn't overstay it's welcome and it's some of the best high flyers now there, there was a couple botches here i've said on the air before i thought i think mascara dorada can be a little green sometimes and miss his mark but when he's on 
He's like one of the most dynamic guys they have. Yeah, he is incredible. He did a lot of really cool stuff in this match. And yeah, I, I need to see him in Super Juniors this year. He fucking rules. So Barano rules. Volador and Rocky, you know, been in the game forever. And they're both excellent at what they do as well. And this was just fun. And, you know, it's also good to kind of get a uh, a feeling for what this new heel Soberano Jr. character is. And, um, you know, this is somewhat a continuation of the ongoing story that the, these four guys have had going in Mexico. So, you know, kind of transporting the CMLL story into New Japan Strong. I like that. This was fun. And then combining that coming off of the high of, Jacob Fatu being the big man doing all the flips, and then you come to this, and like it's even flippier. Like this was fun. Like yeah, and I was like, yeah, like we're on pace. This is better than Wrestle Kingdom right now. <laughs> yeah, Volador Jr. hit a Canadian Destroyer on Rocky to get the win in the post-match promos. Um, Volador and Mascarado uh, were talking about Fantastic Mania, and they're like, Rocky, how about you face each of us one on one during the tour? So. Hmm. Seems like they they thrown a challenge out there that we could get yeah Rocky versus Mascarada and Rocky versus Voldor at Fantastic Mania. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that, and uh, I, I think you know the one thing I want to see is uh, this is a little off topic, but I want to see Zandacon Jr. turn for uh, Fantastic Mania tour. But mm-hmm. uh, with the way that they've really kind of expanded this partnership over the past year uh, with. It, the different inclusions in their tournaments and, you know, um, advancing Teton in the super juniors and him being a member of LIJ plus everything going on with Rocky. And then all showcasing these guys on, um, the strong shows. This is like the strongest that the CMLL new Japan partnership has felt in years. Mm -hmm. And it feels like fantastic mania is going to be a little bit more stakey. It's going to have some more stakes to it than it normally does. You know? Yeah. And one other note, uh, Volador, or not Volador, uh, Soberano was wearing a uh, black tiger mask in tribute to his partner, Rocky. And they talked about that in the post-match promo, and uh, Soberano respecting Rocky and uh, calling Rocky the face of CMLL. Uh, mm. To a question here, at Oscar Rooney says, this was a, a lot of, there was a lot of surprising stuff at Battle in the Valley, but was Volador winning with only one Canadian Destroyer that most, the most surprising? <laughs> you know, I... I couldn't tell you that I, I mean, I've seen quite a bit of Volador Jr., but I've never taken note that he hits multiple Canadian destroyers. I don't know if you've noticed that, Jeremy. No, I think he's just talking in general that people. He's just, the only one that hit one in the match. That people do destroyers all time. It doesn't end the oh, match, but Volador yeah, yeah, yeah. just does one and it's game over. <laughs> well, you know, when you're a master of your craft, you know, you, you know how to, everybody can throw a right hand, but if you really know what you're doing, that's lights out, you know? Yeah. There's a reason. There's a reason that uh, Shawn Michaels hit that sweet chip music and his super kick was superior to all the other super kicks, you know? And just He's like master. Jake the Snake, his DDT, so nobody's been able to master it quite like he has. Well, I'll just say when I was in the gym, I was hitting people with the DDT. They're going to sleep. That was it. Dr. Lariat asks, do you guys believe Soberano Jr. will be used as a heavyweight threat or light mascara Rada before him barely being used. I think he's going to be a heavyweight guy. Honestly, I don't think that, you know, one thing I will say, you know, to contradict some of my statements earlier, I, I know I'm excited about the new Japan CMLL relationship, but thus far in their history, they have not shown 
the capability to really incorporate a luchador in a meaningful way in the company. Um, I mean, there are a few notable exceptions, like when they had La Sombra win the IC belt and, you know, obviously Dragon, Dragon Lee. Lee. But even that stuff was all very short-lived and not too super meaningful. So um, they're high in Sobrano Jr. He signed. I think he's going to be a heavyweight, but I don't know what the utilization's really going to be, you know? Right. Well, yeah, we won't know until yeah, until we see it play out. Uh, so moving on to the next match, we had the IWGP Global Champion, leader of the War Dogs, David Finley, defeating TJP, 13 minutes and 7 seconds. The Aswang. <laughs> Oswang. The Oswang, TJP. That's not his name, bro. It's Ass Wang. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. You know what? This match was really good. Like, this was probably one of the best David Finley matches. And don't get me wrong. I think TJP is a... We, we've extolled his praises so many times on the show. But he's not usually put in a, a position to be like a, a top worker in the company you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and most of david finley's best singles performances have been with guys that are in some way superior to him in term or at least perception wise but you know like jay white will osprey tomohiro ishii like those are the three guys that come to my mind when i think of people he's wrestled one-on-one that have he's had really standout performances with and him and TJP had what I thought was one of his strongest singles matches. I thought it was much better than most of his G1 output was this past year. Just really enjoyed it. Uh, both guys seemed very motivated. Crowd was into it. Um, you know, it seemed pretty clear that um, Finley was going to win here. But, you know, Finley, his character, you know, it's up and down, up and down. Like the last time we saw him, um, wrestle like let's say tangaloa he was doing all this cheating stuff right Mm -hmm. here kind of reverted back to the hard nose you know no nonsense badassery sort of gimmick which i thought is better you know but it also doesn't fit the gimmick of what he's supposed to be so i'm still a little like um confused in that aspect but if if the matches are going to be like this I can come back around on Finley because the wrestling was great. And then obviously TJP, he he's awesome. You know, I can make fun of the the gimmick of the ass wing, but he himself is, is just an incredible worker. And they, they went out there and they had a really, I felt like kind of underappreciated great little match. Yeah, it was really good. And the crowd was really hot for TJP. The closing stretch was really good. Uh, TJP spits the, the red uh, Oswong mist in his eyes Hits the catch 2-2 two, two knee strike for a great near fall. Falls up with the Mamba Splash for a near fall. Gets the uh, octopus stretch on. Uh, but then Finley uh, reverses. Uh, it's a pile driver. And then eventually hits him with the Oblivion. And gets a win. Yep. So, um, you know, uh, this wouldn't be the first time that we see. Or this wouldn't be the last time that we see Mist used on this show. So, you know, apparently, I don't know, Japanese wrestling company, you see a lot of mist nowadays. I don't, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> the match was good. Uh, and this also kind of feeds into the ongoing feud between um, 
Bullet Club War Dogs and United Empire, which is going to culminate on the big uh, New Beginning tour, you know, five, 10 man steel cage match that's upcoming. Yeah, New Beginning in Osaka. Uh, I had a couple questions here. Um, at Dr. Annoyed Grunt on Twitter says, Josh is a horror movie fan. Can you recommend any good ones featuring an Oswong? You know, I, I don't normally look at the questions, but I saw that one just by chance and I was like, do I? Do I? And then I realized, like, you know what? Like, I've watched, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of horror movies at this point and that I know of, probably more. I can't think of any that have the Oswong or the Aswang. Like, and so I, <laughs> I did a Google search and, like, um, I guess there's quite a few, like, notable Filipino horror movies. I've never gotten to Filipino horror, so I've never seen any of them. There are... There's there's actually two movies called Oz Wong. One is like a uh, from 1994. I don't know if it's good, but it said it's like a forgotten horror gem. So maybe that's worth checking out. There's another one from like oh, 2010, 2011. That's a little bit more mainstream. But um, I actually Googled like Oz Wong horror movies. And there are some. Um, there's some lists out there that kind of detail different notable um filipino horror films that are worth like you know considering and watching and i don't know i might check one of them out maybe i don't know but i'm not big on the gothic folklore horror necessarily like it's kind of why i've I've never watched like kwaidon and some of the and like uh some of the japanese equivalents that are similar so i don't know i don't know if that's really my cup of tea but i might check it out eventually Imp says, is TJP really the guy to take over the United Empire? I don't think so, personally. Um, I, I like TJP um, as a as a worker, but I don't see him as being, like, the superstar guy that could carry the group, necessarily. Yeah, he's definitely a, a standout worker, and I'll see him and uh, Akira together catch 2-2. They're a great tag team, but yeah, I don't really see him filling that leadership role and obviously we've seen junior leaders before like vertical debit with the bullet club but i just don't feel like tjp is there i don't think that would be the right move for the group and i've never seen an indication in the kayfabe from new japan that they viewed him in such a manner either it it would really come out of nowhere and i feel like uh could hypothetically let's just say could there be a scenario where you build tjp up to be a a major credible threat the same way that prince devitt was sure there's no reason why you couldn't do that but now is not the time to do that in a month you know right yeah you got a month and they haven't done that and he's been working for this company for a good number of years at this point and they've never told us that he is a top you know um just a top star top guy in the company they don't they've never portrayed him that way so it would be really out of left field right now to try and fit a you know a circle into a square peg yeah his post-match promo he did talk about you know uh osprey's leaving you know the, he's leaving the crown here to go conquer other kingdoms and somebody has to pick up the crown and it's going to be him and so he's kind of positioning himself that way and coming all these promos talking about you know taking leadership for the group so it's kind of interesting that he's pushing himself that way. But, yeah, I don't think that's what's going to actually happen. Someone's probably, like, talking to Rocky. They're like, the fuck is 
TJ talking about it? He's like, I don't know, man. <laughs> uh, then Les Commission 7252 says, you guys think people don't really hate Dave Finley, but just how the Bullet Club looks as a faction right now and how they looked seven years ago. I don't know. People, people don't like Finley. Yeah, because I, I see tons of praise for Gabe Kidd, Coglin, Connors, Drilla. I there, there is no pra- like if if Finley was not. There, there are people that praise him, but they're like contrarians. Yeah, but if like Finley wasn't in the group, I think people would love Bullet Club. Like if it was just like I, I don't actually, I still don't even know if that's the case. Like the creative is so all over the place right now; they don't have a unifying force for that group, and I don't know if New Japan's management really has faith in any of those guys that way right now. Like. I know the fans love most of the guys that are in the War Dogs, right? But hmm. nothing in the past five years tells me that New Japan really believes in any of those LA Dojo guys. You know, I don't think they do. I think they see them as like a kind of like we got to use them. Otherwise, they're going to leave and all this investment's going to be for nothing. But I don't think that they want to put them in that top spot. Otherwise, they would have already done it at this point. Yeah, we've talked about this, how it kind of seems like, yeah, the, the LA Dojo guys are kind of like the black sheep of the whole kind of dojo system and, and the roster. Uh, but, yeah, they're, all, they're super talented, and I feel like, you know, if they gave, if they gave Gabe Kidd, like, the leadership and he ran it and they actually got behind him in the group, like, it could be really cool. Yeah, but you know why. I mean, I think the major reason why, and I'm just – actually, I can't say this – a hundred percent. It's not like I know, but I have to imagine that management's probably looking at what happened with his mental health and, you know, that breakdown and everything a couple of years ago. And, you know, how much do they see that as a potential liability? And maybe that's why they've never gotten behind him to that degree. Like they know he's talented, but they've never pushed him in a, in, in a way that matches the talent that we as the fans see in him, you know, mm-hmm. and I have to imagine that that's probably a big reason why. Yeah, that's, that's a good uh, possibility. Uh, so moving on to the next match, we had the NJPW Strong Open Weight Tag Team Title Match. The Girls of Destiny, El Fantasmo, and Hikaleo defeated the Bull Club War Dogs team of Alex Coughlin and Clark Connors, 12 minutes and 6 seconds. Yeah, I believe also this was the point in the show where we got Filthy Tom Waller on uh, the call. I do want to say I, I thought that... Uh, I like Veda Scott a lot. I think she's underrated as a commentator, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm not, I can't think of any women's commentators in the history of professional wrestling that I've like listened to that I thought were like good. But then again, there's very few women that are notable that I can think of in any company that have gotten the opportunity, you know? Um, But I think she's really good. And I thought Walker was uh, very good on this night as well. I didn't think the sound was uh, tailored well for them. Most of the production was pretty good on the show, not up to New Japan, you know, domestic standards, but it's a far cry from some of the snafus that we... I I turned on my uh, trailer TV, and it worked from beginning to end. There was no skipping, no lags, no delays, no pauses. Uh, Yeah. You could could hear the audio. I could hear everything. Right. It worked, so it was good. It's not like anything that we're going to tear down, but I did think the mics were peaking just a bit with with, uh, them on the call, but one thing I noticed is like 
you know, um, I thought that Walker did a much better job on this show, like incorporating the stories, but still calling the action, being that, you know, play by play guy kind of leading the the troop and then, you know, Veda adding a lot of good color. And then Filthy is, you know, very underrated when it comes to just being the the knowledgeable expert, you know, the, mm-hmm. the wrestler comment slash commentator. And yeah, I thought this team was very good here. Yeah, a really good team here. Um yeah, this match was uh, pretty good as well. Um, yeah, ELP and Hikaleo, I feel like they're really gelling well together um, as a team. So, uh, once again, here kind of feuding with the, the War Dogs here. And uh, Coughlin and uh, Connors had the, the black jeans on here for this match. And um, yeah, I was surprised they didn't wear the trunks, but they wore the jeans. Yeah. Like I said, we're you know, out for a fight here. Um, and I think I'm starting to see a, a pattern now with some of these uh, ELP Hikaleo matches where they just run rough shot in the beginning of the match. They're hitting all these big uh, double team moves and it seemed like they were going to um, beat these guys pretty quickly, but then uh, they were able to come back. They kind of isolated Hikaleo for a little bit um, until they were able to get ELP back in there. And then they set up for the uh, super uh, thunder kiss uh, 86 and were able to get the win. Yeah. And one, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, one other thing too, with the match is I had forgotten you know last week when we were talking about why we were getting this version of the war dogs versus you know like you know for instance gabe kid and uh coglin and obviously gabe kid was working later in the evening so that all made sense but i had forgotten that there was an attack that had taken place earlier in new japan strong and so they they did a little video package and i was like oh yeah that did happen so mm-hmm. again there are these storyline beat through lines that are running parallel to new japan and it's like this they still paid it off it's still you know carried over and i like that continuity and it's you know maybe i wasn't considering uh this particular uh group of the war dogs meaning coglin and um and uh who Con- connor's and Clark Connors as being like the next challengers, but it had been well established before, even before the tag league. Yeah. So, yeah, so good stuff here. Champs retain and uh, we'll move on. So uh, next match, we had the NJPW strong women's title match. Julia defends and defeats Trish Adora in 13 minutes and two seconds. I thought this was uh, a really good match as well. Um, I hadn't seen, I've heard a lot about Trisha Dora. I know she's like the Pan-African diaspora champion. And, you know, for me, I'm not the biggest uh, intergender fan. I, I, I'm, I'm aware that a lot of people like it, though, so that's cool. And I think she still holds that title. I don't think she's ever dropped it. Uh, but I'd never really seen Trisha Dora. Like, she's a name that I know, and I've seen her around, but I've never watched her actually wrestle. And, uh, man, she's imposing. Like, she is very physically gifted, and she just dwarfed Julia here. But yeah, those it, was, women, it was crazy how much, yeah, bigger she was compared to Julia. Yeah, and I mean, Julia's not, like, a, a big girl or anything like that. You know, we've seen her outsized in the past in other matches, but, like, from just a strength and, and you know, everything, like, stature, like, she was considerably out-muscled by uh, Trisha Dora here. But these women, they had a tight match just under 15 minutes very a lot of great action very hard hitting 
Um, they started doing some crazy suplexes and big turnbuckle spots at the tail end of the match. And yeah, they, they really went for it. And I, I think it's probably one of the better uh, new Japan strong women's matches that they've had. Um, maybe not, obviously not as great as last year's Mercedes and Kyrie match. It wasn't, it also did wasn't given as much time as that match was, but this was really, really great. Lots of great fire ups uh, down the tail end and uh, a very strong finish. I, I was impressed across the board. Yeah, really hard hitting, really snug. And yeah, the, the finish was really good. So Julia goes to the top. She hits um, a super uh, butterfly suplex, uh, but Adora popped up at one. Then Julia hit a knee strike for a near fall. And then Dora came back with the mafia kick. Uh, but then Julia did the uh, Northern Lights driver to get the win. So, really good match here. Julia uh, retains the title here. And then after that, uh, the lights went out, and we had a video from Mustafa Ali uh, bringing his 2024 campaign to New Japan. He talked about uh, Hiromu not being a, a great leader of the junior division. This guy comes out with a, a stuffed animal. He's crazy. You know, he's a leader that has to be removed, and he's going to come and do it. And he challenged Hiromu for Windy City Riot, which we now know is official. So uh, come April 12th, Chicago, we will get Hiromu Takahashi versus Mustafa Ali. Great match. Great direction for both of these guys. Obviously, Hiromu is a huge star. And putting him in a spotlight match in the U.S. on a big show like this is is, uh, very attractive. But he also kind of needs some direction because he is no longer the IWGP uh, heavyweight champion. So kind of needs something to spotlight him and uh, an introductory grudge match with Mustafa Ali sounds really awesome. Um, I, I, I thought the production on this video was very, very good. Uh, it is funny though. And uh, this is something that Hiromu, I guess, uh, remarked online about is like, he hasn't been coming out with a stuffed animal in like years. We're talking <laughs> <laughs> like a really long ass time. Like since, Fale ripped up uh, um, Daryl. <laughs> and and after that, it was like he still did use the the stuffed animals like in his like promos and stuff. But he really wasn't coming out with them too, too much after that. Mm-hmm. But it's been a long ass time, which kind of tells you like this man with Staff Ali. Like he's like, what do I know about him? Stuffed animals. <laughs> this man is a menace. He cannot be trusted. <laughs> Yeah, but I thought the promo and the whole yeah the whole vignette was great. I'm really loving this whole uh, Mustafa Ali kind of like presidential campaign run. I saw some videos from his uh, some indie stuff he did this past weekend, and he has the Secret Service like walks him out to the ring. He has this cool music, and he just looks like a star comes off like a star. And yeah, I think it's going to be a great addition to have in New Japan. Hopefully, it's more than just when you see Riot, but if it's not, it still should be a great match up there in his home city in Chicago against Hiromu. And this wouldn't be the last announcement that we got for Windy City Riot, but I think it's a very smart decision on management's side to uh, make some preemptive uh, announcements for a big show like that. And it's one of the things we were worried about and criticizing last week where we were like, well, this is just a few days after Sakura Genesis. We know they like to wait you know, until the the previous show ends to make announcements. And it's like, fuck, what are we going to do? (laughs) Uh, But they, they obviously they've taken that into consideration. Maybe they're listening to fans voices. I don't know. Kudos if they are, 
but uh, it seems very clear that we're getting a few of those big, bigger ma- matches announced now so that they can build the rest of the card later, which is a very smart tactic. Uh, one last thing, too, with Julia. Um, Stephanie Vecor is the number one contender. I think she could be a hypothetical candidate to lift the title off of her, but I wouldn't be surprised if her next title defense in Japan, whoever that might be, um, you know, I'll just say it right now. Obviously, I'm not the biggest stardom, like I'm not the most knowledgeable stardom person, but I, I was talking with Rich and I was like, you know, I don't know what her health is like, but if she were to come back healthy, I feel like Tam could potentially be a name that you have take the belt off of her and then come back mm. and be the representative champion here in uh especially considering those two women's history and her beating her and sending her off onto her uh, excursion to the Fed, uh, that might make (laughs) sense. Yeah, it could happen. So moving on to the next match, we had uh, Matt Riddle and his mystery partner against the TMDK team of Badu Tito and Zack Sabre Jr. So ended up being, uh, his mystery partner ended up being Jeff Cobb. So they reunited the Chosen Bros tag team, their tag team from the Independent scene and the chosen bros. You hit it on the head last week. Yeah. Um, And so they ended up reuniting and defeating Bad Dude Tito and Zack Sabre Jr. 11 minutes and 45 seconds. Yeah. uh, I wasn't sure who this was going to be, but you threw that idea out there. It might be Jeff Cobb. And uh, yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, which is kind of weird because normally, you you know, Cobb's in the United Empire. You normally don't kind of see like, a guy from another faction just teaming up with another like random guy on the roster. But obviously there's history there with the Chosen Bros. There's history between Riddle and Saber, Cobb and Saber. Um, so it, it all kind of uh, made sense here. And the crowd seemed to be very into Riddle. I know we kind of speculated that you know some of these crowds would uh, boo Riddle just due to the the allegations that were made against him and just some of his kind of public behavior. But Reaction here and re- the reaction I saw at MLW um, seems like some of the core wrestling fans are totally fine with Fertile being on these shows. Well, you know, he never really did have any major backlash when he was working in the WWE. Um, I, I'm not too surprised. Uh, you know, you and I, Jeremy, we went to a, a battle in the Valley a couple of years ago um, in the California area. It wasn't San Jose, but uh it was clearly not what you would describe as like a diehard new Japan fan base. It, it kind of mostly seemed like, you know, this book club. like bullet club fans or WWE fans. from 2017. So I, <laughs> yeah. So I, I wasn't too surprised that this fan base uh, in this city uh, didn't really react negatively to him. Now that might be different in like the 2300 arena, you know? No, I think, but, I think that's where MLW was. Um, okay. And but even that might be a different fan base on that night than what you'll see from, you know, a new Japan audience on that night. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised if you don't see hardly any reaction. Um, you know, again, at the end of the day, and this is me not, obviously I've, I've gone on record and I've said, I think he did that shit. Uh, but uh, you know, a lot of people feel that they were allegations uh, they were never proven. And for some people, that's enough for them to, and you know, to kind of just feel like 
this guy doesn't actually have an ongoing like investigation or anything. They're going to be fine with it. I also think that him being a big star from WWE and the talent level that is on display when it comes to Matt Riddle, which, you know, say what you will about him. And this is, you know, this, you could put, you could classify this in the same like conversation as a Chris Benoit statement. You know, it's like Chris Benoit, horrible, horrible killer also one of the greatest like wrestlers that ever lived and it's you know obviously for a lot of people you have to separate those two things they're you know they they don't hold bearing on one another but matt riddle is one of the best wrestlers living today and for a lot of fans that's all they're gonna see that's all they're gonna care about and that's gonna go a long way with them uh, me personally i don't need to see the guy but it is hard to deny how talented he is it doesn't justify anything that he may or may not have done but a lot of fans don't give a fuck about all that, you know? Yeah, you know, um, I was talking with Rich. We were up together watching this, and it's like, yeah, man, th- this guy's going to wrestle his way to forgiveness. He's, he's going to acquire the stars. He's going to have these great matches, these great blowaway performances, and people are just going to, you know, never mind all that. Like, this guy is great. And, yeah, like you mentioned, it's hard. Yeah, he is so great. And, like you mentioned um, before the allegations, he was one of our favorite wrestlers. We saw so much great stuff from him uh, here in Tampa from Evolve and um, stuff in WrestleMania weekends. You know, him and uh, Will Ospreay on uh, WrestleMania weekend in New Orleans. Like, we've, we've seen so much great stuff um, from Matt Riddle. And, uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, obviously, that the whole he has that kind of baggage of the allegations and stuff like that. But, yeah, like, you put that aside, like the guy's an incredible professional wrestler, and um, you know, from an in-ring standpoint, I think he's going to be a, a benefit in New Japan from from that standpoint. Yeah, and I mean, there's a few different ways to look at it. I mean, if if there's uh, if you're like uh, a fan who cannot separate the art from the artist and and everything, you know, that's totally understandable. And I mean, no one's going to knock you for that. I feel like I'm pretty close to being in that camp myself. And then there, there are probably others who kind of view it more like he was alleged to have done something. Nothing was ever proven. And that's about as far as it goes for them. You know, and there are some people that see it as, you know, his personal life and his artistry are two totally different things. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it's a tough it's a tough subject, obviously, uh, because there's a lot of different people that sort of feel different ways about it uh, for me. I can take it or leave it. I don't need to see Matt Riddle in New Japan. They've got a lot of talent as is. But to me, and I know I'm not alone, I we had we, me and Jeremy hung out yesterday and we were talking about it. We both came to the same conclusion watching this match. It felt and looked like if they wanted to make this guy the leader of the United Empire, like they might go that way pretty easily. Yeah, uh, post-match, Cobb did throw up the, the crowns to him and kind of offer... Uh, him to be in United Empire then in the post-match comments they are kind of reunited and talking and um he's Cobb's like you know is Matt gonna join United Empire is he gonna join chaos hell no how the torture hell no and they're like let's go talk business so you know they went off and so yeah it seems like they might be potentially teasing Matt Riddle joining United Empire maybe you're taking over with uh Will Ospreay leaving I mean, if you're looking at guys who are of the star level and talent level to lead a faction in that way, Matt Riddle fits the bill. Um, I know there's a lot of 
like fans of the faction that wanted it to be like a Jeff Cobb or for it to be, um, you know, like uh, Great Ocon. But it, it, you know, ultimately, you needed somebody who could potentially like be the world champion, you know, and as talented as both those guys are, they haven't been portrayed that way either. And they don't have, you know, like they kind of have the same week or the different weaknesses and strengths, like, you know, where Cobb is this incredible in-ring presence and this, you know, and everything like that. He really lacks on the mic. That's like not his strong uh, suit. And then like Ocon's the opposite way. Like, He's also a very good in-ring worker, but he excels when it comes to the character work and to the promos and everything. But they don't see him as a worker, the caliber of a guy that, and with the body and the look of a guy that could be the mm-hmm. world champion. None of neither of those guys were ever going to be the leader of of United Empire, uh, and who knows if it will even continue. But it does feel like Matt Riddle might be that guy. Again, I, I don't know if Matt Riddle's sticking around long-term um, or not. Uh, one, I think he could definitely fuck things up for himself, and <laughs> you know, and we don't really have to worry about him being around long-term anyways. But the other thing, too, is uh, Nick Nemeth, who also will be doing some shots for New Japan and recently showed up in, in at Wrestle Kingdom. On this same evening, he showed up in the main event of Hard to Kill for TNA, and apparently he signed to a full contract and he's like contracted there. So that kind of answers some questions about like the under from what I understand, the reporting is that he will do dates for new Japan, but he's pretty much full time contracted with impact. And that's like his home promotion. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Riddle winds up in a similar situation at the end of the day. Yeah. Cause also, you know, these guys are they're kind of from WWE. Uh, they need big money and, you're not going to get big money from a lot of places besides, you know, WWE or AW. So a lot of these guys are doing multiple kind of deals. So, uh, you know, Riddle, he's been in MLW. He's doing New Japan now. And yeah, same with Nemeth. He's doing, done New Japan. He's doing GCW. He's doing Impact. Um, so these guys are going to be probably doing multiple places, having maybe their quote-unquote home, but then kind of wrestling all over the place. Right. Which, and I say that to say this, like, I don't know if they can make him the leader of the faction if he's, full-time contracted in impact you know what i mean like that's yeah. where it gets a little a weird yeah um but this was a really good match um good stuff between Cobb and bad dude tito band early into them doing power stuff to each other uh saber and riddles matt wrestling exchanges were really great as well uh came on to the end with uh riddle hitting the uh bro Derek uh pile driver onto bad dude tito to get the win for the team yeah apparently Dave Meltzer has finally found out about Bad Dude Tito. So. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we've been singing the praises about Bad Dude Tito on this show for a long time now. Yeah. Uh, we, we had a debate over who was the first to, uh, <laughs> you know, talk about this guy in there. I'm pretty sure it was me, but Jeremy thinks it's not. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, we had a question here from Lee Chang. It's Bay 2. Should Matt Riddle be the new leader of United Empire, yay or nay? Osprey's an AW guy now, and who knows when he's coming back, so the faction needs a new direction. Riddle is great in the ring and already has ties with Jeff Cobb, and he wouldn't have to worry about the WWE or AEW snatching up anytime soon because of his scandals. Uh, me, personally, if I'm New Japan management, I wouldn't put 
Matt Riddle in any sort of uh, spot that there could be liabilities Um, and not because, you know, it's pretty clear that the company doesn't give a fuck about (laughs) the allegations (laughs) and everything like that, but it's more like the history with this guy. And you look at, you know, number one in Japan, you know, drug use, especially like marijuana, but uh, well, actually not even especially like that is a big one, but the the other ones are also (laughs) very bad as well. Um, That's all I'll say when it comes to this guy, but like what are the chances that he's not going to get caught up into some sort of issue? Like he's already had so many interpersonal issues and I just wouldn't put him in any sort of place of importance where the company stands to suffer from him being a liability personally. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's a tough call there. Um, like you mentioned, he is they're going to push him as a big star, so they might see it as a good spot. But yeah, it could be um, a, a risky choice uh, putting him there. And then a similar question from Barry Wall says they would they wouldn't would they Matt Riddle take over as the United Empire leader? I think they could. I don't think it would be a smart decision, but yeah. I don't. I mean, know, I, I don't Allegations aside, I don't even think his character really fits the vibe of United Empire. But like, but the the comp- they're going to have to probably change their whole vibe because they don't have another Will Osprey in their back pocket. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess we'll see what, we'll see what they do. Uh, so moving on to the next match, the uh, AEW Continental Crown Championship match, the champion Eddie Kingston and. Uh, went against Gabe Kidd. They went to a double count out at 12 minutes and six seconds. Yeah, uh, very hard hitting, very violent. Uh, two guys that wanted the smoke. Um, I didn't like this match, truthfully, as much as I enjoyed their first match on New Japan Strong. But this was a little bit more like hate filled and story driven. Um, they fought to a double count out at the end. And I, you know, I'm not like a big proponent of countouts, but the '80s wrestling fan in me, when they're <laughs> done correctly and utilized correctly, they can have a, a great impact. And this was one of those, you know, Josh Smith countouts where I really liked this one, and I thought it was, uh, especially the the kind of the vibe behind it, where um, Gabe is on the ground. It's pretty clear he's not going to be able to get up. Eddie could go back into the ring and win by a count out. But Gabe kid grabs the, the mic and he's like, Oh, you fucking got, <laughs> you know, just starts cussing them out. And, you know, Eddie sees red, they start brawling bell rings, total chaos, bedlam, you know, they, they're brawling. It, 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 I like that shit. Yeah, this was, yeah, you mentioned hate Phil. This was very hard hitting. Yeah. A lot of the, the strikes and, a lot of big suplexes, brain busters, great exchanges. Um, yeah, these guys were going to war. This felt like a, a really heated uh, blood feud. And, yeah, and they, they brawled, like you mentioned, to the double count out towards the end there. Uh, I thought it was fine for it. Clearly, they're, they're building to a, a rematch. And, you know, probably as long as Eddie's uh, kind of little crown champion, he's probably not going to, to be losing anytime soon. So maybe he loses a belt before the next time they wrestle or – who knows? Maybe they work out a deal where Gabe Kid gets this thing. I don't know, but clearly they're going to do um, another big matchup between these guys. 
Um, after that, uh, Coughlin and Connors came out, and all three of them uh, beat up Eddie. Uh, Gabe did the the pile driver uh, onto Eddie onto the Continental Crown belt, and he was you know throwing the Continental Crown belt around, and he grabbed like a strong belt because that's the belt that he really wants, and. Uh, both their post match promos are great. Um, Eddie is talking about you know he's he's not gonna wipe the blood of Gabe off of the the crown title. He's like it's like a knife. Uh, when you kill somebody, you keep the blood on there. It's like the trophy. Uh, he's like I'm gonna keep your blood on here to remind myself of what you did to me and it's this war and you know it's not finished yet. And he's like I, I got friends. I got you know uh, crazy Puerto Rican friends. Obviously, kind of talking about homicide there. And um, he's like I got I got lots of friends. You have lots of enemies. You know. I'll see you again. So clearly they're going to build something bigger. We might even get some tag matches, you know, bringing in homicide and some other people in kind of a faction warfare kind of thing. I would love the idea long-term of them splitting the strong title out of the continental crown. I just, I don't personally see the value um, of having the, the three titles unified. Um, Maybe from a marketing perspective, they do. Um, because they can get that continental champion to defend all the belts on the big strong shows and everything like that. But what's problematic for me is that you just know that unless it's an AEW talent, they're not going to lose the title. And that takes some of the intrigue from a fan perspective as a new Japan fan out of it. For me, I, I think it would be better to just have the strong title either, not be it like I would rather them just merge all those titles or split it out one or the other. I don't like the idea that there are three subsequent titles all being defended simultaneously. It just gets murky when it comes to the New Japan AEW relationship. Yeah, I don't need the strong title. I mean, I'm I'm fine if they want to keep it, you know, merge together, like merge it with the crown, and just be one thing. Right. Fine. Um, but yeah, it does kind of make it unpredictable when also you have a top. AW guy coming in to face um, a New Japan guy. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully that situation changes up. But love this stuff here. I love the promos that they did in the backstage. All that. The promos are up on New Japan World. Um, so, yeah, really great stuff from both of those guys there. Um, question here from Imp. She says, as someone from Nottingham, Gabe Kidd's aura is the best Knott's Lad representation there is. Who are the wrestlers that best represent your neck of the woods? Oh, man. I don't know. Um, I mean, like, in Florida's weird, bro. Like, I really couldn't say. Like, it's either going to be someone that's, like, really country, like, so super, like, hick, or it's mm-hmm. going to be, like, a jet setter from, like, Miami, smooth type of, you know, person, or I don't know. Like, Tampa can be rough. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's, a, but, there's, there's such like a mix of like a eclectic mix of people in Florida, even in Tampa, like it's Tampa in general too. There's so many mixes, and it kind of lacks an identity to some extent. I I can't think of anybody from Florida that I feel like represents modern day like you know Tampa Tampa Bay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know who would be yeah the best <laughs> person to represent our, our state. <laughs> Can you imagine someone like wrestling, but like using all the the slang and vernacular from like, like Tampa and everything like that? That, <laughs> that would be like so sick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Doctor Lariat says. Also, now we know the Continental Crown is unified. Do you think there's a possibility 
Eddie loses a belt in New Japan. Is it? Is that officially confirmed? I didn't. I thought that they were not. I I don't know. I feel like it kind of changes every day, or at least people are say one thing and it's actually not. I'm not 100 percent sure. Clearly, he's been defending the crown as one on his recent defenses, but he still has all three titles. Uh, it still counts as defenders in each title lineage. So I don't know, um, but I have a hard time seeing him lose the crown to a new Japan guy. Yeah, I, I don't, um, I don't see the point um, at, at this point until they make that firmly confirmed. It, it's very innocuous and it's hard to, to know what it actually is. Yeah. So then, uh, following that, we had the no disqualification match as the Death Rider John Moxley defeats the Rampage Dragon Shingo Takagi 26 minutes and 16 seconds. Yeah. Um, this was an awesome match. Um, I think for a lot of people, it's probably the match of the night. I, I, I'm thinking it's probably my match of the night as well. Um, just a a really hard hitting, crazy plunder brawl. Lots of blood fought all over the arena. Um, you know, I don't know. I I feel like Jeremy, you were a bit higher on this match than I was. So you probably have a, a little bit more to say than I do. Yeah, I don't. I thought this thing was awesome. We got a street fight gear. Shingo. Came out with the jeans and the knee pad over the jeans and the wrestling boots uh, with the white shirt. So, yeah, he looked great. Uh, you know, nobody told Chingo that John Moxley is 100 overall in uh, no DQ matches. So, uh, pretty much all, everything Chingo tried to do with a weapon, uh, Moxley was able to, to counter and, and take it from him. Um, so, yeah, beginning part, they were kind of dueling with the kendo sticks. You had uh, Moxley yeah, beating with the kendo sticks, kind of jabbing the kendo stick in uh, Shingo's mouth. Um they had uh, the garbage can lids, the chain. So, yeah, they were doing a lot of crazy uh, back and forth stuff. Um, of course, uh, they were bleeding. Uh, Shingo was actually bleeding first, and he's, you know, got the crimson mask on, and then eventually uh, Moxie ends up bleeding. And, but, yeah, they were going back and forth and just doing um, a lot of crazy stuff, huge top rope uh, suplex. Um, Moxie with a big German. Uh, yeah, they were dueling with chairs. Um, Shingo did a pumping bomber uh, with the chain. Yes, and uh, Moxley choked Shingo out with the chain. They're doing all this kind of cool, crazy back and forth stuff. Um, Man in Japan on the chair. Uh, Death Valley driver to the table. Like they're doing so many crazy cool stuff. Big spots. Then uh, the finish came where uh, Moxley did the the death the elevated Death Rider onto the open chair. Uh, to get the win so yeah i thought this was a great plunder brawl hard-hitting you know you, you normally don't see shingo in these kind of matches and i thought he he excelled here and um yeah it was definitely it was a great bloody wild brawl yeah i i thought the match was very good i don't think i'm as high as other people on it they definitely worked really hard and went out there and had a great match the crowd was very into it but for me, like I felt like the the beginning was a high point, and then the finish got incredible. Like the last few minutes, like high drama, really great stuff. But to me, I felt like it was a little bit sluggish in the middle. There wasn't too much that was happening in terms of uh, 
the weapons use and and everything that would separate it from like one of your better like let's say nxt adam cole level era like plunder matches you know that you'd see on like a takeover which those were all really good too but um it, it didn't feel like i was seeing something i haven't seen a million times me personally i would have rather had seen um john moxley and shingo takagi have an actual straight up wrestling match i feel like that as good as this was i feel like that would have been even better but i think that the gimmick was a bit of an out for a way for them to kind of protect shingo and have him take the clean loss because the match was a little bit more in mox's wheelhouse you know Mm -hmm. and it kind of satiates the blood appetite of what they perceive you know western fans as wanting on these strong shows so um from that aspect it was really good i mean the match was still great i'd go four and a quarter on it uh i think i'm probably the low man um the clothes though i was a little bit lower than that the clothes like elevated it for me and i thought that yeah they they had a a really 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 great close down the stretch and there's one point where um did he hit John Moxley with the Made in Japan? It looked like he was going to win. Yeah, yeah, it was a great yeah. near fall there. Yeah, or I'm sorry, what's his? What's oh, his? Uh, the last of the dragon. His, did he hit him with the last of the dragon and he kick out? Uh, no, I think it was just the the Made in Japan. Okay, he got close to that, and I was like, "Fuck!" I like I thought he was going to win, but um, yeah, great match. Um, and the crowd loved it. Like they were really into it. Uh, it went like close to thirty though, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I feel like it it depends on your taste. I know it's weird that I'm the 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 blood guy on this show and I'm a little lower on it than Jeremy, <laughs> but um yeah, I, I thought it was really great though. Um yeah, yeah. I would have I would have rather seen a straight match. Yeah, I think a straight match would have been great as well. But yeah, I was into this. Uh, I went four and three quarters. Um, you know, it has like a nine something on cage match. I've seen a lot of people throwing four and a half, four and three quarters. I saw somebody tweet yesterday it's their their current match of the year so uh this thing really got over uh with a lot of people and people really love this match so um a couple questions here lee chang is bay two says john moxley hasn't lost a clean match in new japan since what the g1 with goto i doubt naito is losing the title this soon i really find it hard to believe that they'll be stupid enough to give the world title to an aw guy right i mean if tony Khan refuses to do business and let his guy lose then will Tanahashi have to make him fear for his life? And so also you're referring to post-match John Moxley does call out to see Naito since he's the one mountain he's to topple. It's time. And so it's the official John Moxley versus uh, Naito for Windy City Riot. Yeah. So again, another big announcement for that show. And um, I don't know if this is covered in the news, Jeremy, but I was scrolling through X and I did see that there was an update for Windy City Riot. Um, right now, the current setup for that show is 3,530 tickets. Obviously, the building can be outfitted to do more, but that's what they're set up for. And uh, the tickets distributed is sitting at 2,472. So uh, in the past three days, they've sold over 800 tickets. Uh, there's just a little over 1,000 that are left right now. So it looks like yeah, this show probably is going to do pretty well. I wouldn't be surprised with some of the announcements that have been made now, plus the market that they're in, um, that we might wind up seeing them expand uh, the the building to fit more people as the time approaches. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that's in April. It's only January now. They already have two big matches. I think they could probably get to 5,000. I wouldn't be surprised by that. So um, as far as, you know, what's going to happen, I mean, I think that this is a really intriguing thing that they've done because obviously Naito is the world champion and you would have to assume. Uh, did th- Now, did they do the Gabe Sapolsky, like, if he's the champion? No, so that it'll be for the title. They are advertising it as a non-title match as of right now. Uh, Charlton tweeted on uh, Twitter. He's like, yeah, we don't want to do false advertising. You know, Naito still has potentially, he has a Sonata defense, and he's probably going to defend against the winner of New Japan Cup at Secure Genesis, which was the week before when he see Riot. So this match is being advertised as non-title. It's going to happen regardless whether Naito's champion or not. But clearly, I think it's obvious that Naito will beat Sonata and beat whoever New Japan Cup winner is, and this will be. Oh, you think so? I think so. I mean, I'm I'm not convinced of that, and that's why I think it's intriguing because they have been. I think that it is very possible that Naito could lose that title between now and the time Windy City Riot comes, and this title and this match is just a total straight up non-title affair because he won't be champion anymore now i think by the time they get there if he is champion then yes they might have him defend the title against moxley but this is pretty much akin to what used to happen in evolve with gabe sapolsky where he'd be like if they're the champion on this date then they will defend against this challenger and Mm -hmm. without saying it that's kind of what they're saying and i think that's a smart idea because they're they were able to advertise a marquee match that was a, that's a huge deal. And if the title is involved at that time, it'll be an even bigger deal. Mm-hmm. But we have no, no way of knowing between now and then if that's the case. And so to me, I think the possibility of Sonata taking the title off of him goes up. I think it's up now. And I also think that the possibility that a new champion wins the title um, at Sakura Genesis and defends against somebody else on this show goes up. I, I think that this actually adds a new wrinkle into the booking pattern of New Japan entirely. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just feel like that's, I don't know what bigger match you're, you're going to do on this show. Also, clearly, you know, Okada has to be in something. I'm sure Tanahashi will be in something, but I don't know. I feel like it's not really much bigger you can do like a first time matchup than moxley and naito so to me that screams like this is your this is your world title match here but i mean anything's possible yeah it's not a could win or whoever wins new japan cup could win secure genesis and maybe that's what you know triggers mox like you know you i was coming after you because you have the belt and you don't and now so now i need to go after who does have the belt and so right that kind of continue, yeah continues i, I agree class. I think you're correct. That's definitely the a possibility, but at the same time, because it's already advertised, you could subvert expectations, have Naito drop the title, and then do an and then the fans are getting more money's worth when they announce the rest of the card because it's like in addition to this, you're getting a world title match where it's Shota Umino versus you know, Okada. Okada or whatever and then it's like oh fuck you know now I really want to go to this show they could do that and I'm not saying they will but I'm just saying that who knows what's going to happen now and that's that's a great thing to instead of like the way it normally is where it's like all right well Okada's definitely being Sonata and then he's definitely gonna you know 
now it's not that. Now it's not definitely. Now it's uh, maybe. Yeah. And I think the company has incentive to take the title off of him because they never advertised this as a title match. They could easily do a different title match now if they really felt the need to. Yeah. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BB says, now that the Onita Mark himself, Deathmatch Chingo, made his debut, who would you like to see him face next? I did. I We didn't bring that up, but I did love his little nod to uh, Onita uh, with his attire here in this match, which was pretty cool. I mean, in a perfect world, I want to see Shingo wrestle Kenny Omega, but I mean, I don't think that I don't know if that's going to happen. But as far as like a death match, I mean, I'd rather that just be a straight up singles match. Death match Shingo, put him in there with Desperado. Those two be crazy. Did we ever get Shingo versus um, Abushi? I can't think that. I don't think it did. No. Fuck, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind if we're doing the death match thing. I wouldn't mind seeing him wrestle Desperado. I wouldn't mind seeing him wrestle like June Kasai. Yeah. Do it on a Taka Taichi uh, mania JTO show. Yeah. That'd be cool. Any of that shit. It's all cool. Um, going back to that, uh, one thing we should talk about though, let's just presume that the match between Naito and Moxley is for the title because Lee Chang is Bay asked us. Any chance that like they're they're definitely not going to have Moxley like win the belt, right? That's mm-hmm. what his assumption is. But Moxley hasn't really lost a clean um, fall since before his AEW deal, and you know, have we been saving that up to this moment? And he's going to fail at the last moment in a big match with Naito, or is that where you pull the trigger and put the the title on a guy like Mox? Yeah, it's interesting. I always felt pre-pandemic that they were going to set Moxley up to challenge for the IWGP title and potentially even win it and have a short run. Um, so, also, you know, things up a lot has evolved and changed since then. AW's, uh, you know, grown since then. And, yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I could see him being a guy that could win this, win the title and that they could put the title on. But yeah, then how does that affect him making dates? We know that Mox is willing to travel. He, he's a guy that will go back and forth. He'll he'll do the dates, but how many dates will Tony Khan actually allow him to do? What happens with the right. world title? Uh, yeah, it, it does kind of put things in flux. Um, so yeah, maybe. I mean, if I'm New Japan, I'll, I'll lobbying either our, our guy is winning or you're giving us more dates on Moxley. Right. I mean, I think that there, if they were to put the title on Moxley, that could, that would need to be something where all those kinks are worked out and we're not worrying about him not being able to make dates because he's got to be at TV on Wednesday and then he's got to be there on Saturday and blah, 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 blah. You know, like it might be helpful for him, you know, and I don't know, I, I can't claim to be their business analyst, but like it might be helpful for him to go away for a little bit if needed. And I'm not talking a long time. Like you mentioned, it could be a short term title reign where, you know, maybe he wins the belt, does a tour, loses the title at the end of the tour. If need be, you know, that could be cool. Um, but if we're running into a, another Chris Jericho or Kenny Omega absconding with the title for six months, never to come back like that sucks and they should not do that. But, um, you know, it really just depends on coordination 
um, and cooperation between these two different companies. And while I think the relationship is good, I, I definitely think that AEW has not uh, exercised the ability to be the most, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They don't always have their shit together. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and that's just kind of, that's what it is. I mean, if you look at, and this is just a one recent example, you look at the way that they've unrolled the the Sting um, retirement tour, it's kind of all over the place. And it's like very, you know, it's a lot of stuff's last minute. They're not always disciplined. They don't have the propensity to be the most disciplined and, and have the communication that's needed uh, for shit like this to work. I mean, it's fine if that's how their company operates, but it might not be a good thing to have one of their guys be our champion if we can't get dates on him, if it's not worked out ahead of time, if they're going to change things at the last minute, that that all would suck. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, what you you could do, you could have him win the belt here, and then um, Forbidden Door is only two months after Bro, that's this. too long. Too um, long. And you too, have too long. the belt there. <laughs> uh, unless, I mean, if you're going to have him show up in Japan and work the big shows. Sure. But if he's not going to, and I'm not even one of these sticklers where it's like, he's got to be on the road twos. <laughs> it's okay. He doesn't have to, you know, John Moxley's a pretty big star. It's okay. But if he's not going to defend the in that month before, that's too long. He's got to be on the big shows. He has to like, there's no, there's no point in having the title on the champion. If he's not going to, de- if he's going to win it here in America, never come to de- to Japan to defend it and then lose it at wherever forbidden door is next year. Like, f- and just be the Japanese champion, but just still be working all his dates for AEW and walking out onto their TV with our title, but never really even acknowledging what happened or anything like it. it that would be bullshit. They should not do that. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on to the main event of the evening. The Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, defeats the aerial assassin, Will Ospreay, 28 minutes and 34 seconds in, which is probably going to be, at least for a while, the last time we get Okada versus Ospreay in a New Japan ring. You notice how I was saying R? I'm identifying with New Japan as the company. It's (laughs) (laughs) R-belt. Uh, this was a this was very this was a really really good match. I thought it was better um, by quite a large margin than the Okada Tanahashi match that we got last year in the same uh, building. But I didn't think it was like the quintessential Okada Osprey match. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was still great. I mean, those guys always knock it out of the park anyway, so it was still very very good had an incredible video package leading into it. And in a certain sense, it was kind of sad because you always felt like this story was leading to uh, being this generational tale of Osprey usurping Okada in some way. I, I mean, a lot of people had a lot of different theories on how that was going to play out, when it would happen, how it would happen, yada, yada. But now we found ourselves at a point where, due to the circumstances of timing, um, he just had to lose to Okada, which makes sense politically. But basically, he got one fluky win on him by cheating, and then the other one was in a 20-minute time limit, 
you know, G1 match, which was one of the smaller stages they ever wrestled on. And by and large, Okada just sunned him and then he beat him again here. And it's like the story became what it didn't become a story of the rise of Osprey became the story of Okada's just better than you. <laughs> and, you're, and you never, ever, ever made it to his level, which that kind of story is also, I mean, there's money to be made in that kind of story too, but it just felt like we were always waiting for them to pull the trigger. Now looking back, it kind of made me feel like one of those, either the G1 final or one of those Wrestle Kingdom Dome matches, he should have beat Okada clean and it didn't happen. And now here we are and he's going off to take Tony's money. And, you know, we're being told that, you know, Okada is the generational guy, the defender of the company and, and the best to ever do it. But now we're also worried about him leaving the company. <laughs> so it was a great match. It really was a great match and it was very emotional for those guys. But I had a, I was a little bit kind of bitter watching it because of that aspect. Also, this is something that I was talking to Rich today and he, he brought up, could it be that Okada might be, slowing down a little bit because the last couple times these guys wrestled, they just haven't been the same level as some of their higher end matches that we've seen. And I thought this one was great, but it, it didn't hold a candle to some of that stuff. And we know it's not will who's slowing down. <laughs> we know that could yeah. it be Okada. I think that's a possibility. Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, he is getting older. Um, maybe not as, as crisp as he was, but I don't know. I thought that the match was, incredible and there's so many great counters that they busted out of there you know osprey catching the drop kicking to the power bomb the rainmaker counters uh okada hitting a um stormbreaker onto osprey for a near fall osprey doing the rainmaker so a, a lot of great um back and forth stuff the crowd's eating it all up uh so the atmosphere is great the the counters are great yeah everything was awesome here you know Osprey busting out the Styles Clash, you know, busting out all the big moves here um, until eventually Okada hits him with uh, one last Rainmaker to uh, get the win. So, yeah, really great stuff here. Um, and then post-match, um, they hugged, kind of had their emotional moment. Then the, the War Dogs came out and uh, Finley hit Okada with the Shillelagh, and then Okada just disappeared. He teleported <laughs> to the back. Um, and the War Dogs are, are laying out um, Osprey, but then TJP, Jeff Cobb, and Eddie Kingston came out, and um, they kind of evened the odds there, sent the, the War Dogs packing, and that allowed Osprey to uh, kind of give his farewell speech to the crowd. Yeah, um, very emotional. Um, you know, a, a fitting main event. I, I, again, I would go four and quarter on this as well. Um, I think I pro I actually think I liked this better than the um than the plunder match. And mm -hmm. so this was my match of the night. So, you know, and again, this is all relative. When I'm saying when I'm talking about like people losing a step and stuff, I'm not like burying the match. The match was fantastic. It's just these guys have had five star classics, some of the greatest matches of all time. Mm -hmm. Um and I felt like this was another very uh fitting chapter to that story i just didn't love the finish of the story i, I think that uh it made it kind of felt lacking 
at the end because it was like, damn, Will should have beaten this guy definitively on a big stage at some point. Now it's done for now. And that kind of, again, encapsulates how I feel about the usage of Will Ospreay in this company across the board. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, he should have been Okada. He should have had a longer world title run. There's so much more stuff that they could have done with him. He should have won a G1. Like, there's so much that's still left on the table. They left money on the table uh, with him. Um, but, yeah, this is how, this is how it ends for, for now. Well, we got the, the one more match in Osaka, the big five-on-five five, uh, cage match. So, that you know, cut a promo about that and his farewell. And then uh, post-match, he kind of gave a farewell message to Okada. And he was like, uh, you know, I'm kind of sad, you know, how our friendship kind of turned out. Because, um, you know, you were so good to me. But I just had this bitterness in me in 2020. And that's why I turned my back on you. And I... Had to do all this stuff. He's like, but you know, without that, I wouldn't become the man I am today. And um, yeah, kind of good stuff there. Good farewell to Okada, um, and kind of a good, guess, not the best, you know, not the the outcome we wanted, but you know, we kind of tied the a knot on the story for now and uh, ended with another great matchup. Um, so we have a bunch of questions here. Uh, first from Rambo and Slam Pig, he says, as his primary stint in NJPW comes to a close. Where do you think Will Ospreay's legacy sits amongst the various gaijin that have spent time in the promotion? Will he be remembered as an all-timer, or does the failure to capitalize and do more of him at his peak hurt that? Well, I mean, yeah, that speaks to what I was just mentioning. Um, I mean, in terms of, like, what is his legacy going to be, I couldn't 100% define that because, again, we're not domestic audience watchers. I don't know how they feel. Um, it's been pretty clear recently. Some of these reactions he's been getting where like when his music's playing and you hear the Osprey, Osprey, like they're behind him. Um, but I do think that like, you know, they put the belt on him. It was during the pandemic. Um, after he lost the title, they never ever gave him like a rematch for the title ever. Like, yeah, they gave him the fraudulent belt and had that, you know, three belt storyline with him and Okada and Shingo. But like he never got a rematch ever for the remainder of his time there and kind of saddled him with the red belt. And he raised that belt to relevance and prominency. But the entirety of a lot of that time, he was taking a backseat to Jay White, taking a backseat to Sonata who great talents and, and actually you look at the whole thing with him and Sonata, him and Jay White and like that was what a lot of the quiet uh you know feud what that was ongoing not on screen even though they had some matches but it was like who is going to be the top gaijin of this company in the wake of Kenny Omega and the, it's very clear that the, the company was more invested in Jay White than they were in Will Ospreay and really they only went with will to that level due to the pandemic. And then once the pandemic was over, they never utilized him that way ever again. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's head scratching. Um, like you mentioned, Jeremy, there's things that they missed out on. He didn't win a G one. Um, I mean, he never won a new Japan cup. They never went with him as the tip top guy in the company. And I think that that's a big reason why we never saw him beat um 
Okada on that level because had they had him beat Okada on a big stage, similar to Naito, similar to Tanahashi, similar to Kenny Omega, similar to Jay White, then they would have had to solidify him and put him in the main event and pay him like the main event and treat him like the main event. And they never planned to do that. And that's unfortunate. And so I feel like he, he'll he probably be looked at in a lot of ways similar to like Prince Devitt or um, like Dynamite Kid, you know, one of the top performers they ever had. But he's not going to be viewed like Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant or, you know, uh, guys that or like Vader that were like their tip top stars that they like pushed to that level and gave them long title runs and shit like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in the kind of come them from a modern fan base, I think like, you know, people watching now, I think, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to remember Will Ospreay's running new Japan, all the great stuff he did there. And I think, you know, he, at least from an inner ring standpoint, you know, surpassed guys like AJ Styles and kind of hung in there with, you know, guys like Kenny Omega kind of on the same level, maybe even surpassed Kenny in some points. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned from more of like a, the push standpoint of the top star. Yeah. It's not um, quite the same because they didn't utilize him, but yeah, I think he's going to have a, a great legacy in the company. I think regardless, he's going to be remembered as one of the top uh, wrestlers that they ever had. Um, yeah. He's definitely going to be uh, an all timer. Uh, next question here from uh, Kryptonite says uh, Battle in the Valley 2023 saw a faction leader leave NJPW and now 2024 is as well. So my question is, is Battle in the Valley cursed and who is leaving next year? <laughs> it's January. That's just what happens in January. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Rambo and Sandpick says, has your opinion of the working relationship between AW and NJPW changed? After Wrestle Kingdom and Battle in the Valley, do you believe it actually is, or at least appears to be, more equitable than in the past? You know, I was listening to fellow podcast of the Social Suplex Podcast Network, Trish and Sarah. They had a very interesting discussion, and we're talking about the, the, the thing with WWE and them trying to get a foothold in the Japanese market. One thing they mentioned was, you know, the reports that they are trying or were talking to new Japan are true. That might add a bit more of an equitable note to new Japan, because even if they don't decide to work with WWE, the very fact that they're in a bargaining position, that gives them maybe potentially some more leverage in the relationship with AEW than they had prior. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say that that is a catalyst for why we saw anything that happened at the dome take place. You know, I think they were always building to Danielson losing again. And I think that, uh, you know, Mox didn't even get pinned clean. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't say it's equitable, but I'm sure that there it's not falling on deaf ears. The complaints from the various fans about the portrayal between these two companies. But long term, do I think that AEW is going to bend over backwards and make it more 50 50 going forward? Like, no. It, it, nothing's gonna change. Like it, it, they're the big dogs, and we're a little homie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it has been good to see. Yeah, you know, at least um, they're yeah, Brian um, giving the win back to Okada, um, and then here, you know, Gabe, 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 you know, 
Eddie to the draw here, and so and Osprey losing here. Uh, but technically, Osprey is still a New Japan guy here. But yeah, hopefully, as the partnership goes and continues, we will kind of see things a little bit more in favor, especially as we're seeing more AEW guys show up on uh, New Japan Strong shows. Um, Dragon Master Adam says, out of 10, how good has NJPW's 2024 gotten off to? I'd say about an 8.5. I'd agree. I think that, um, I don't think that they've had the most um, hype surrounding them coming out of these two big shows, but uh, they've, they've had some uh, momentum and I think that's good. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how that's carried through to the new beginning torques. They got a lot of shows, a lot of dates, and they've got four big shows during that time frame. And they don't all look as good as each other. So it'll be interesting to see what, uh, you know, January and February looks like coming out of that and going into like uh fantastic mania. Yeah. Uh, similar question from uh, Def Triangle 720. How do you feel about the trajectory of the company right now? How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, I think it, uh, it, it's in a good spot uh, right now. I thought Wrestle Kingdom was a great show. Battle in the Valley was a great show. So, you know, two big, great shows in the books. There's a lot of interesting angles right now. I mean, the, the War Dogs version of Empire is very heated. Um, you're just setting up, you know, the, the LIJ fans are excited for the Sonata Naito uh, rematch. Um, you got Nick Nemeth coming in, Mustafa Ali coming in. Um, there's like so much buzz. I feel like with those kind of new guys coming in um, and they're setting up some um, some big feuds. I feel like, you know, we're, we're going to talk about the New Beginning uh, tour here in a second. I feel like, uh, especially on the Road 2 shows on the Cork, and there's a lot of big like singles matches. So, they're, they're telling a lot of cool stories. There's a lot of interesting matches. There's a lot of cool title matches coming up. So I think right now they're kind of hitting good momentum. I think that um, we need to kind of capitalize on it and make some you know, wise booking decisions on some of the younger guys, and they could end up having a really great year this year. Uh, the Discord Daddy, MJ Does PR, says, Seems like NJPW has been listening to the feedback from everyone about how to book shows in the U.S. Do you think the quality over quantity model is a more sustainable approach for NJPW in the U.S.? Hard to say because I don't know what the the actual profits look like versus the costs, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've seen situations multiple times over the past couple of years where they do these smaller venues with two nights, you know, back to back, sometimes even more than that. Um, And you have to imagine that part of the reason for that is, you know, profits. Um, So I don't really know what the business model looks like um, in terms of like what they're bringing in, what, what's going out Um, from a fan perspective though. Yeah. I think the quantity uh, versus quality, I think quality is better. I think them having, especially like if we're at a point where the weekly TV is not going to happen, they're not going to get some sort of streaming deal. They're not looking to get a a, a real television deal. Then having big shows kind of supported by your partners like AEW and CMLL along with like your, you know, Western uh, guys, that's better for the fan experience. I also don't know what that looks like for the pocketbooks of some of the new Japan quote unquote strong talents. 
some of those guys. Like they're getting less work, they're getting less dates, less opportunity. And then if it's if they're far between the shows and they're not going to Japan, how are they going to get over? How are they going to get uh, you know, familiarized with the audience? We've already seen Filthy Tom Lawler and Fred Rosser work their way down the cards when they're two of the bigger names um from the strong brand and like some of those guys that you used to know um they're just not around anymore because there's less opportunity for stuff like that which you know that's understandable but i don't know what's going the me saying all that is i don't know what's best for the company but i know for the fans this is probably the more enjoyable experience um but I don't know what's going to be more sustainable. I think probably whatever profits the company the most, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, the whole quantity versus quality thing, I think the quality is better. And I do like that, you know, for Winnie City Riot, you know, one of the big complaints we've had is like, you know, not announcing a car ahead of time, waiting a week out. And now, you know, we're three months out from that show and, they have announced two big matches and it seems like they're going to be announcing more and uh, we're going to get, you know, these cards announced ahead of time where they're going to do fewer, bigger shows. We're going to, we're going to be able to get, you know, Osprey versus Naito. I mean, Osprey versus Okada type matches and Naito versus Moxley uh, with less shows. You can do bigger matches like that. So I think that's the way to go. He also asked uh, Mustafa Ali, Nick Nemeth, Jack Perry, who will have the best run in NJPW this year? Um, hard to say, but I mean, like Nick Nemeth has the AEW machine behind him, or I'm sorry, not Nick, uh, Jungle Boy has the AEW machine behind him. So you'd kind of have to expect him to be a bit more protected. And I, I think he could probably at this point and all three, all three guys are very talented, but if I were to say like, who who has the highest top end when it comes to match performance right now and that could change but right now i'd probably say jungle boy so he probably has the most buzz and interest and he's got more of a corporate backing yeah uh probably from the buzz standpoint jack perry from the in-ring standpoint i would probably say mustafa ali um he's just a really great talent who was underutilized in WWE, and i think uh, if he's going to do a lot of dates, uh, he can have uh, end up having a really great run. Then our uh, last question here from Barry Walsh. Do you find it a little short-sighted or anything with the fact of New Japan is bringing in names like Riddle, Ziggler, Ali, and Jack Perry, but all four members of the War Dogs are allegedly now out of contract? I know the two might not be connected, but wouldn't locking, it, locking down its own young talent make more sense than bringing in presumably expensive names that probably won't stick around medium to long term? Yeah, I, I think that even if hypothetically these guys are on per date deals and they're not as lucrative as you think they might be, speaking of like the new signees, just from an optics standpoint, it doesn't look good for those individuals that are in the midst of renegotiation season and they're seeing these bigger names being brought in and being paid well and being given higher spots on the card than they are. Um, it's just not good optics. So, and if it is a case where they're throwing money at those guys, um, I get it. It's, it's enticing to have new, exciting outside names that are familiar to other fans to kind of build buzz around the company. But you could also do that by 
I don't know, investing in your talent, booking them better, telling great stories, giving them opportunities and paying them well. So yeah, I, I could see both sides. Yeah. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right, that's going to wrap up our talk about Battle in the Valley. Now let's jump into the New Beginning Tour. So we're going to have the the first show of the tour uh, this weekend, January 20th, from the Aichi Perfectual Gymnasium, the New Beginning in Nagoya. Show will kick off with uh, Young Lion Action as Katsuya Murashima will take on Shomakato. Then uh, we'll open up with Shota Umino and Tomoka Hanuma taking on the House of Toyo team of Ren Narita and Yujiro Takahashi. Then we'll have the United Empire team of Callum Newman, Francisco Akira, Hanari, Jeff Cobb, and TJP taking on the Bull Club War Dogs team of Coughlin, Connors, Finley, Drilla, and Gabe Kidd. Then we'll have Desperado and Master Wato taking on Sho and Kanamaru. And then, uh, as announced today, we will have the NJPW Strong Openweight Tag Team title match as the Champions Girls of Destiny will defend against Chase Owens and Kenta. Then we'll have Okada, Ishii, Tanahashi, and Makabe taking on Fujita, Nichols, Hayes, and Sabre. Semi-main event, actually a seven match will be uh, LIJ, will be Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, Naito, and Yotatsuji versus Doki, Sanada, Taichi, Taka, and Yuomura. Then the semi-main event will be for the provisional KOPW title as Ishimori will defend against Great Okan in the 10-minute Ishimori ring fit match. So 10 minutes on the clock with the last title holder at the end of the time limit being the victor. Additionally, at three-minute intervals, the two must stop for 30 seconds of high-intensity circuit training. Uh, then the main event will be the never open weight title match as Tamatonga will defend against Evil. Yeah, so of all the bigger new beginning shows on this tour, um, excluding obviously like the the road twos, this is probably the weakest of the cards. Uh, very much so, filled with a lot of preview tags, kind of setting up the rest of the tour. Um, you know, previewing a lot of the bigger matches that are going to be on those big shows. Um, I am a little surprised that the Bullet Club versus GOD tag match is again for just the strong titles. And it's not necessarily um, encouraging when it comes to the idea of how they're, they fans wanted to see them either unify those belts or defend them simultaneously. The fact that they're just defending the strong titles for the last two defenses um that's kind of precarious yeah and they are def- they are defending the iwgp against them um and new beginning in osaka so i feel right. like we might we might be getting a, a situation here maybe kenta and chase pull a quick one here win the strong tag titles and then they retain the iwgp in osaka they're working against themselves if they do that i understand their inclination to want to do that get the lesser but they already did that last year when it came to the war dogs and uh they are they did the exact same scenario so 
Um, I get the reasoning behind it. I just think it's short-sighted. You already spent the time to put both titles on the champions. I don't see the value in having all these different tag titles and multiple champions. Like, just have one strong champion. And uh, no pun intended, but just one strong title holder who holds both belts. Like, that's better. Yeah, I don't understand the need for... And even have two tag titles now and um, defending both separately. Uh, yeah, I think it would be better to, to unify them, especially with them doing less strong shows. And I, I know Rocky said, you know, he wants weekly TV, but I it doesn't seem like that's the direction they're going. So at this point, why do you need strong tag titles? Why do you need a strong open weight? Why do we need a strong women's title? Um, yeah. Also, um, why do I have to see this match twice on the tour? Like, I didn't even want to see it the first time. Now <laughs> I'm getting it twice. Like, uh, um, so nice. They booked it twice. <laughs> as far as the KOPW title match, we voted on both the NJPW uh, Global poll as well as the Japanese poll. And we were very much in favor of Great Okan's bull rope death match. Like, why are we getting this comedy shtick 10 minute? high circuit and this thing won by a landslide like people want to see this shit i don't get it yeah it's i don't understand like it's so like there's so many vocal people that complain about kopw and all the stupid stipulations but then overwhelmingly yeah the 70 something percent voted for this ishimori ring fit it's like you know what it is? It's like those fans that are like, do you see the fucking 24-7 title change last night on Raw? <laughs> so great. Our truth won the title from Becky Lynch or whatever the fuck, you know? Yeah. That's what this shit is. It's terrible. Oh, um, and then, you know, Tamatonga versus Evil. Uh, it's weird. You know, we just saw Tamatonga come off what I thought was the match of the night in the Tokyo Dome against Shingo. And now we're going to see him wrestle Evil. And we know what that means. And Evil is going to win and Tamatonga is leaving the company. So um, also, by the way, now, since we're here, we should just talk about it real quick. This past week, they removed Tamatonga from the New Japan website and it was pr- and then changed Evil's profile to being the never open weight champion. And the amount of people I saw online that were like, what's going on? This is crazy. I'm getting to the bottom of this. Like, bro, it's a fucking angle. Like, yeah. So many people got so many people got worked. Oh yeah, I need to do research. I got yeah, do this you know long column about this. Like, dude, yeah, it's it's an angle. Before they even showed the video, like, like evil hacked this thing, and and then they showed the video. He got in there. He broke into the office. You know, he bullied Charlton and the other guy to update his profile and delete. Also, Chris Charlton's a, a coward, bro. You stand up for what's right. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um. Evil stole the IWGP World Heavyweight title late last year and then released merchandise with him as the, like, eighth champion. I'm the real champion. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, anyone who wasn't, like, I don't get it. People are getting worked. They're stupid. But, you know, it also probably, they probably are going to remove Tamatanga from the from the roster. So, it probably just happens to be a happy coincidence like well it saves us some time plus it's a good angle let's just get <laughs> out of there yeah let's, uh, let's do this early and yeah turn into an angle <laughs> oh man so yeah um not not the best car of the tour here um expecting yeah evil to probably win um guessing ishimori's 
maybe going to retain. I, I don't know. I'm not going to predict anything aside from the, what we already know because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who wins that KOPW. It doesn't matter who holds the strong title. Like, I'm sorry to be the negative Nancy, but I just don't give a fuck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I watched the show. Um, hopefully, the the multi man tag matches that everyone complains about those are good because I like those and I'll I'll be looking forward to that. Yeah. But uh, I'm not overly enthused for the strong tag team champions. Uh, you know, Chase Owens and Kenta and KOPW ten minute high interval. You know, hit fucking matches. And- <laughs> And uh, evil shenanigans. Like, this is the shit we don't like from New Japan. It's all rolled into one show. Yeah. Well, in the following night, we'll have uh, night one of the Rhodes New Beginning, uh, January 21st. So, open up with uh, Marishima versus Kato. Then we'll have Chase, Kenta, Nishimori against ELP, Hikaleo, and Jado. We'll have Coughlin, Connors, Finley, Drilla, Gabe Kidd, and Gato versus Cal Newman. Akira, Great Okan, Hanari, Jeff Cobb. We'll have Fujita, Nichols, Hayes, and Saber versus Okada, Ishii, Tanahashi, and Hanma. Then we'll have Oleg Bolton, Umino, and Tamatanga versus Dick Togo, Evil, and Rita. And we did have a question here from Young Line ninety five. Uh, says it was a, was it a bad idea for Ren Rita to join House of Torture? I feel so. For example, Show should have been the face of the Junior Division, but House of Torture. <laughs> um, gotta let it play out. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Um, I mean, it's been fine so far, but it could get worse. Um, and then uh, after that, we'll have Desperado, Wato, and Makabe taking on Sho, Kanamaru, and Yujiro. And then the main event will be Bushi, Hiromu, Shingo, Naito, and Suji versus Doki, Sonata, Taichi, Taka, and Uemura. And then some so, other. So before we get. To the rest of the tour before we record next week. These are the only two shows airing. Yes. Gotcha. And then I should let you guys know who are listening. I am taking my Series 65 test this coming Friday. So uh, that'll be my final for now licensing exam for uh, me to be a financial advisor. So hopefully I pass that shit. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I'm not sad watching these house of torture ass shows. <laughs> Um, some other key matches on the road to tour. Uh, so January 23rd, we're going to have the IWGP junior title match. Desperado will defend against Kanamaru. And we'll also have a singles match with Show versus Master Wato. Then the, the 24th, also in Corkin, will be Shota Umino versus Ren Narita. So Umino finally getting his hands on Narita one-on-one. And there's also going to be Naito and Hiromu versus Sonata and Doki. Then February 4th at Cork End, we're going to have the IWGP Junior Tag Team title on the line as Catch 2-2 defense against Clark Connors and Drilla. Then Dave Finley will go one-on-one with Callum Newman. Hanare one-on-one with Jeff Cobb, or with Gabe Kidd. And then uh, Cobb will take on Alex Coughlin. And then uh, February 5th at Cork End, there's going to be a big gauntlet match between LIJ and Just Five Guys. And we had a question from Les Commission 7252. With all the key matches set for the Road to New Beginning Tour, do you think throughout the year that management should feature three to four key matches to make their Road to shows feel more important? Um, I think it depends. I, I'm not opposed, obviously, to adding more importance to these shows. And, you know, it's, it is a rarity to see singles matches in New Japan Pro Wrestling. So getting more of these, maybe this is... Uh, who knows? It might be like a um, 
mandate from um, Tanahashi, hard to say, but um, I don't think it always is needed. You know what I mean? Um, it, I think it depends on what level of road to show and what the tour looks like. Um, I know that some fans would love to just be getting a lot of like major singles matches, you know, all the time, but of, you know, they're special for a reason. And if they're on every show, they're not special anymore. And it's, I think it's okay. It is okay to sometimes have road to shows that are actually just previews because let's remember at the end of the day, a road to show is essentially a house show that you don't necessarily have to watch, but you do get rewarded for watching them. It's okay to have some more important matches from time to time on them. It's also important. It's also okay to sometimes just let them be house shows. Yeah, I mean, yeah, essentially, yeah, there are televised house shows. You use, that's why you see a lot of the same matches because they're doing the same match in different cities, so every city can see the same match, get the get the story. So when it comes to the big show, all cities are clued in. Um, but yeah, I, I'm down though with them doing some of the bigger singles matches here, and we're getting some title matches. We're getting a you know Despy defending a junior title. We're getting a, a rematch of uh, Catch Two Two and War Dogs. Um, so yeah, it should be a fun Row Two tour. And then uh, we'll have the new beginning in Osaka as the next big show. That'll be February 11th. And we got Yo and Yano against Oleg and Taguchi. Bishamon will take on Newman and Great Okan. Hanuma, Wato, Despi, and Umino will take on Nujiro, Narita, Show, and Evil. Bushi, Hiromu, Suji, Shingo, and Naito will take on all just five guys. Then we'll have the never open with six man titles on the line as TMDK. Haste, Nichols, and Vegeta will challenge Team Hall of Fame. Then we will have the IWGP Tag Team Titles on the line as Chase Owens and Kenta will challenge ELP and Hikaleo. Then we will have the big rematch between Zack Sabre Jr. and Brian Danielson. And then the main event will be the big five-on-five steel cage match as United Empire's Catch 2-2, Hanare, Cobb, and Osprey take on the Bullet Club War Dogs. It's going to be interesting to see what those rules are like. If it's going to be like war games or if it's going to be like first pinfall loses, all guys in at the same time. What's the apparatus even going to look? It's going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that, Carden. So we'll uh, give more predictions and preview closer to that show. And then uh, we have two nights of Sapporo coming up, February 23rd and 24th. Um, not all the, the matches are booked yet, but so far for night one, uh, there's going to be a, a pre-show Frontier Zone match. Um, then Bushi, Hiromu, Suji, Shingo, and Naito will take on just five guys. And Matt Riddle will challenge Tanahashi for the NJPW World TV title. And then Nick Nemeth will challenge Dave Finley for the IWGP Global Championship. And then on night two, we'll have another Frontier Zone match. And then Taguchi and Nick Nemeth will take on Gato and Finley. Bushi will take on Taka. Hiromu will take on Doki. Suji will take on Uemura. Shingo will take on Taichi, and the main event will be Sonata uh, challenging Naito for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. So essentially, night two is all, it's pretty much just five guys versus LIJ in a single series there. Great. Well, let's jump into the news real quick. So um, big news story, Kazushiko Okada has filed a trademark for Rainmaker on January 12th. Okada submitted a filing to the United States Patent and Trademark Office for the name of his finishing move. Uh, Michael e. Dawkins is listed as the attorney of record. The purpose of the filings are listed as entertainment in nature and a, uh, for wrestling contests. 
Um, so basically to make it short, um, Kazushiko Okada has, uh, you know, trademarked the name Rainmaker. Um, and this kind of caused a lot of a stir. We've got uh, a question here from Lee Cheng is Bay too. Is Okada trademarking Rainmaker a sign that he may actually be leaving the company? That could explain why he and Osprey were so emotional after their match. Osprey is going to AEW, so he'll have opportunities to come back to New Japan unless Okada himself is leaving, like to the WWE. Uh, so I don't think it would be WWE because we know how they are with trademarks and owning people's names and stuff like that. So if he's trademarking Rainmaker, I don't. I think that kind of takes WWE off the table but clearly he's trademarked in the u.s so for u.s use in wrestling um so does that mean he's leaving new japan i'm not sure but it does seem like he wants to do something in the u.s uh maybe he gets a part-time aw contract or uh we saw him at tna recently maybe he's gonna do something in tna or yeah maybe he is leaving new japan i don't know but it is kind of you know, alarming that, yeah, he's trademarked the Rainmaker, you know, as uh, something in the U.S. for wrestling use. Yeah. Um, you know, one thing I will say is I, I'm i of the other opinion. I don't think that WWE is off the table because keep in mind, this is a different regime than it was with Vince. And Okada is such a big star. And if he is hypothetically thinking of jumping to the U S he would be in the middle of a gigantic um, bidding war, which would provide him a great deal of leverage. So hypothetically, if he was smart and I think he is a smart man, and he wanted to trademark this name, it would benefit him potentially regardless of whether he signed at WWE or AEW. And he may be able to own that trademark regardless of whether he went to WWE or not. Um, I do think it's very, I mean, there's no question it's alarming. Um, You know, the guy would have no reason. And I've seen some cope online and I've seen some people trying to, you know, play mental gymnastics. It's very clear. There's no reason to trademark that name in the U.S. unless you plan to make money off of that name. And and there's no reason to for a purely central just, you know, if he's just like, I'm all in on New Japan, that's all I'm doing, and I have no other aspirations, there's no reason to trademark that name. This combined with the Barry Bloom stuff, very scary, um, especially for us. Like, he's kind of the silhouette of our fucking logo for the show. <laughs> like, God. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag, but like we've spent some money recently that have incorporated that logo into shit. And I'm like, why the fuck did we do that? Like, <laughs> you know, should have had Tanahashi on the front of the logo. Yeah. Man, we knew he wasn't going to leave. Like, the ne- never did. count out the ace. <laughs> should you know, I just had Tanahashi, you know, doing this, you know, on the logo. Yeah. yeah. That was a mistake. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I-, I think that. I think that there's smoke to the fire that he could be leaving. And it's very alarming if you're a New Japan fan. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on, um, New Japan added five classic Brian Danielson slash American Dragon bouts from the early 2000s to the NJPW World Archives. Um, so, yeah, um, we have them listed. I'm not going to name all the matches, but if you go in there, they've got the them all cataloged right there. You can check them out. Most of the stuff's going to be from his 03 to 04 run. 
And most of it is tag team action. There's one singles match from 04. Um, I noticed they didn't include the famous U30 title match between him and Tanahashi, which you would think if they were going to upload anything, that might be the big match. That's like the big match he had in the company back then, but whatever. It's not there. So maybe one day. Um, yeah, maybe it's is, coming. That's going to do it for the news. We've got some questions, and then we're going to get out of here. Yeah, so Barry Wall says, supposing Nick Nemeth is signed up for a while, if he got the non-War Dog BC members to turn on Finley, would you think he would be he would make a good BC leader or better than Finley? If the worst happens and the LA Dojo guys go, then what else is there for the War Dogs anyway? I, I don't think, based on the recent announcement that he's signed with Impact, and maybe that's not 100% accurate, but my belief is he signed with Impact. I don't think he's going to be bull club. Uh, leader regardless maybe he can lead uh chris bay and ace austin they're still uh, yeah they could do that but the <laughs> other thing too is they just invested all this time and money into the idea of finley being the the guy and it's really all he has going for him at this point if if you take the leadership role away from him i know a lot of people are calling for them to take it away but what do you have left if he doesn't have the bullet club behind him anymore yeah, there's really nothing there. So it, every all your investment was for not. I don't think they're gonna do that. Yeah. Uh, SSJ five Goji Tunk says, "How big is Batista's heart?" Lion sized. <laughs> uh, let's commission seven two five two says. Last year, I had gotten one out of three of my predictions right. I predicted that the Bull Club would have a new member, and what came were the War Dogs. This year, I have three more predictions. I hope to get right. One, Zack Sabre Jr. will end up taking the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship from Naito or win the G1 this summer. Brian Danielson, Claudio, and Eddie will come back to Japan and be in this year's G1 when they will do the four-block format once again. And this will be Tanahashi's last G1. Could happen. All interesting predictions there. Uh, Lee Jang is Bay 2 says, so I just watched the Ibushi-Marafuji match recently, and my God, Ibushi is washed. This man was missing spots before he broke both of his ankles. Look, I'll be honest. I thought he was washed when he went to AEW out of shape and was blowing spots there. But I love Abushi too much and was in complete denial. But now you can't deny it. He's washed. Injuries or not, that man has lost a step and can't go like he used to. So was Abushi spontaneously leaving New Japan an actual good thing for him and the company in the end? I think if Abushi was this bad in New Japan, it would have been worse for his legacy. Um, you know, I I don't think that we know everything about the severity and the struggles of the injuries that um Abushi has kind of endured and what that road back to being an active wrestler even looked like. So it's really hard for us to kind of say what ifs and everything like that. Um I haven't seen this match. I'm probably not gonna watch it just based on what I've heard from everybody else. Um, you know. I, I love Kota Ibushi. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. And I think he's one of the most complete and perfect wrestlers I've ever seen. Um, and maybe it could have turned out differently had he stayed. But, you know, this is what it is. I, I personally, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, he was washed when he was in AEW. Because we don't know everything that went into his health. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what kind of rehab he went through. I don't know what kind of ailments he was suffering from and what that road back looked like. 
And it's hard for me to say, yes, this guy just doesn't have it anymore. Or if it, if for me to be like, you know, maybe some of it was ring rust or maybe he still had lagging injuries. My, my feeling is that, and this is just speculation, but my feeling is that this is a breakdown of his body more so than a breakdown of him having the ability to perform. Um, and what I mean by that, I know that sounds like it's the same thing, but what I mean is that given enough proper recoupment and given enough time and, and you know care, I don't think it's impossible that we couldn't see a proper performing Ibushi uh, once again or could have. I don't know what it looks like now that this has taken place, but um, I felt like at one point, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's washed, he's washed. And I'm like, you know, I think it's a little too too early to say shit like that. I think a lot of people just want to be early. And, you know, this is kind of a happy coincidence for that crowd at this point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think he has lost a step a little bit. Um, and, again, like to your point, we don't know yeah, where he was on recovery because that, um, that the, the shoulder injury was really bad. Um, and maybe not fully recovered. Clearly, he hasn't been able to lift like he could because he obviously he's not as jacked and shredded as he was uh, pre the shoulder injury. So yeah, there's a lot going on. Probably a lot that we don't even know about. Um, but I feel like if he, if he did not have the shoulder injury, he probably still would have been going at the rate he was, and still probably would have been great. But that injury was really serious and totally derailed him. Uh, his other question says, "Not New Japan related." Uh, though they did spend some time in Japan, but did you guys manage to catch the Iron Claw movie? I just saw it this weekend and thought the movie was pretty good. The Von Erichs were actually my dad's favorite wrestlers, and he thought the movie was pretty good, too, though he was confused why there was no Chris Von Erich. Anyways, what do you guys <laughs> think of the movie? If you've seen it, who was your favorite brother, and do you have any match recommendations of theirs, whether it's in the U.S. or in Japan? Yeah, uh, I saw the movie. I know Jeremy did too. I, I liked it. Um, I think that for I think for people that never that didn't know the story, this was a lot more impactful for them. Um, for me, I don't know. I'm I'm a bit of a film snob. I love a twenty four, and I I thought they did a great job with the film. But also, the historian in me was just like the whole time being like, "Fuck, there's so much that's inaccurate." Like it's hard for me to separate the the real ongoings from what i'm hearing and and seeing in this movie um and then at the same time i'm not the biggest biopic person in the world i think that there are certain tropes and just you know the beats that 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 fall into every biopic picture and in this one like i thought that the first like two-thirds were really great the last third even though that's obviously when everyone's dying i just felt like it just happened so fast everyone's just dying and uh, there, there's really no time to reflect or figure out why what's causing it. Um, I thought the acting was good. Um, Jeremy Allen White as uh, who I love, you know, from the bear and from uh, uh, that. Sh- what's the show uh, from Chicago where him and the kids, I don't know. I love that show too. I, it's from Showtime. I forget what it's called, but um, fucking him as uh, Carrie hard to kind of, especially since he's smaller and shorter than everybody else in the family. Like, I don't know. That was, that was a stretch too far, but um, 
Yeah, I thought it was an entertaining movie. I, a lot of people I went to see it with loved it a lot more than me. They were a lot more um, like taken with it. I saw people shedding tears. I didn't cry, and I, I'll cry at most anything. And I, I wasn't that like emotionally moved by it. So I thought it was good. I thought it was a good movie. A lot of a lot more people liked it a lot more than I did. It it, it wasn't like one of my top movies of the year or anything like that. I thought it was a solid movie. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good movie. Uh, I mean, it was depressing. Obviously, I was familiar <laughs> with the story. I know the story going into the movie, but just like watching it. And I'll say I know it was not historically accurate, but still kind of captured some of the key parts of the tragedy of that family. And man, yeah, it was just kind of sad. Just kind of seeing, like you mentioned, like boom, loss after loss after loss uh, was uh, pretty sad there. And so, but yeah, I mean, overall, yeah, I thought the acting in the movie uh, was good. And, you know, a lot of times wrestling movies are not good. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that they kind of captured some stuff that was pretty cool and kind of how they were able to incorporate some real footage in some of the scenes, stuff like that. But yeah, overall, uh, it was a fun uh, movie. I don't really have a favorite brother. So like, I honestly, I never really watched a ton of Von Eric stuff. Gone back and watched. I don't have any match wrecks or one guy that was like always my favorite. I did play with them a lot uh, in one of the, the Legends of Wrestling uh, PlayStation Two game. Uh, <laughs> they were fun to play with in those, but yeah, I don't really have a favorite brother. Or, I don't. Have, I don't have a ton of nostalgia for the Von Erichs. I was never. That's a little bit past my time. And I never gone back into my history on them. Yeah, I have watched quite a bit of their stuff. I mean, if I had a favorite brother, brother, it's probably Carrie. Um, I, I like, I get it. I understand everyone. Like Mike was the athlete. Carrie was like the superstar with the charisma and the body. And like David was the most complete worker. And, you know, people that believe the WWE propaganda say he was on the track to be NWA champion. I don't think that was ever the case, but, um, I, I do agree. I think he was the best talker and I think he was the best worker for the time period. But the reality is, Nobody peaked as high as Kerry. Kerry could actually have a five-star match with the right opponent, and that was something nobody else in the family on tape ever did. So, I mean, like, and plus, I'm a I'm a 90s kid. Like, I grew up watching Texas Tornado. I, I like Kerry Von Eric. I always have. Um, in terms of matches that are great, anything that he did with Flair is top-notch. Uh, the two out of three falls match from 1982, um, I think August, is near five stars. Um, obviously the, the December 20, I forget the exact date. I don't know if it was Christmas night. I think it was, but the December match with the steel cage match in Dallas, which started off the feud with, uh, them and the, um, free birds. That's one of the greatest like cage matches of all time. That's incredible. Um, him and, um, him and Flair at Texas stadium. It's not as good as their other work, but just given the stage and, everything and the nostalgia around it that's really fantastic as well but they got a match from hawaii in 1985 that is a a true blue five-star classic i'm talking like there's no doubt it's it's the greatest match that carrie von eric ever had and it it might be one of um rick flair's very very best matches and you can probably find it on youtube i I haven't watched it years but it's carrie von eric versus rick flair 1985 hawaii that's the best match they ever had. That's really incredible. Um, Kerry also had a really great match. Uh, he defended the title in two out of three falls match against Jumbo Saruda. 
in all Japan pro wrestling. And that's a blow away match that a lot of tape traders and, and collectors really love. Um, the, the matches with the free birds, they had two on January 4th. The first one was an 83. That's a two out of three falls match. That's with all the, the original lineup of brothers. And that's a fantastic match. That's for the six man tag team titles. But the next year they had a um, bunkhouse street fight with Mike replacing David and um that match is really awesome it's like 10 minutes crazy action like crazy like one of the craziest brawls from the 80s you'll ever see and um that match is also well worth your time to check out um and there's a ton of matches with those guys in dallas i could go on and on but those are probably like some of the bigger recommendations i know that they did have some work in uh new japan as well later on but um i will carry carry versus jerry lawler um in 88 at super clash where like uh, carrie's just fucking coked out of his mind and like <laughs> he he accidentally like ruptures his bicep and he's bleeding everywhere but like lawler still guides him to like a, a probably a four-star classic like yeah that match is great too it, there's a lot of them out there so uh, last of the questions here from hawaiian punch bv says musashi announced that he is leaving michinoku pro soon do you think he'll join NJPW after touring with them last year? How badly will Michinoku Pro be hurt now that they won't uh, have their two aces there? Vegeta Jr. Hayato also needing surgery to get rid of his cancer again. Also, I just want to throw out there, um, there's some really great Harley Race matches with those guys. As well. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I don't follow Michinoku Pro. I didn't even know Musashi and... Um, Fujita Jr. Hayato were like their aces makes sense though um, doesn't sound good for them and I didn't I'm saddened to, to learn about uh, Junior Hayato needing surgery for cancer again I didn't know that yeah I saw that uh, I think that popped up recently uh, last day or two that yeah he has to get surgery again so yeah that is uh, sad for him and yeah I guess uh, maybe they are bringing Musashi into New Japan did that whole Super Juniors tour teaming with Yo. Um, I, mean, I thought he was fine on the tour. It didn't really blow me away, but I mean, it's always good to have a uh, fresh talent, new guys do matchups with. So, there's a hair versus hair match with Chris Adams and Gino <laughs> Hernandez versus Von Erichs. That's really good too. <laughs> uh, and the last question here he says: uh, Thoughts on Better Biev versus Bivol being discussed at uh, Riyadh after Ramadan? Early predictions for the fight. Very historical fight probably would crown the greatest fighter in the history of Russia um, at that point. I, I really don't know because stylistically they're so different from one another, but they're both so complete and perfect. Um, there's not quite stylistically the same, but there's definitely the, the boxer versus the puncher element kind of reminds me a little bit of Ali versus Frazier. Um, at this point, like Bivol is so fantastic but i don't know how you bet against better bf 20 fights 20 knockouts this is unheard of in the history of boxing and he's doing it to top world-class competition and like yeah i could see either guy winning but i feel like better bf if he connects he'll just fucking knock this guy out so i i really don't know it, it's it's a it's a pickup all right, then last thing here, recommended match of the week. So last week we recommended uh, Tomohiro Ishii versus Masa Kitamiya from Noah the New Year. 
And then we also recommended uh, the Stardom IWGP Women's Title Match with Mayu Iwatani versus Shuri from their January 4th show. Yeah, I watched both of these prior to the recommendations last week. I didn't go back and rewatch them. I intended to, but that's okay. Um, I saw both of them, and I was really blown away by the Masakita Mia and Tomohiro Ishii match. I thought that was just really fun, really hard-hitting. It's something we've wanted for a while since we've seen these two guys first lock up in the Noah ring, and um, finally seeing the payoff there was really fantastic, and they gave, I mean, this was like your quintessential hard-hitting uh, Ishii style match, but he's in there with a the bruiser like Kiyomiya, and uh, I just loved it. I, I thought that this was the match of the night for that Noah show. Um, if you haven't seen that match, you need to see it. Yeah, it was awesome. I, I watched it uh, today before the recording, and yeah, it was awesome, hard-hitting. Uh, man, the, the big headbutt that gets uh, Masa uh split open i'm like man there were headbutts in both of these matches that i did not like yeah the mayu gave a big headbutt to um shuri on the top rope uh yeah but yeah ishii and, and masakinamiya you definitely should go all the way and man i every time i watch noah i'm like man i love the presentation like their production their camera work like i love the their name plays when they throw up like the stats in the middle of the match like all right this guy's 48 he's this tall his finisher move it's like it just adds to the presentation and um their english commentators are are pretty good as well so yeah really enjoyed everything about that matchup and yes how crazy hard hitting great fighting spirit near falls and ishii hits a very nasty brain buster to get the win there and then yeah shuri and mayu was great as well and this was very hard hitting very intense um Mayu pretty much was dragon sleepering um, Shuri like, into another universe here. Uh, but there are so many uh, great counter moves. Like you mentioned, the big headbutt there that Mayu gave was a big clunker there. Uh, but, yeah, there were very stiff strikes here. Uh, Mayu uh, was going for the moonsault several points throughout the match. Uh, was able to hit it, get a near fall. Um, Shuri was hitting a lot of her strikes. She had a very cool um, Kimura off the top, Super Kimura. Um, into the submission, which was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, Mayu eventually hit her um, uh, that super uh, poison Rana thing to get the win, which was a really cool finish. That finish is just fucking phenomenal. You know, I I struggle watching Stardom, uh, kind of connecting with what's going on because it's I there's always so much like emotion and there's people crying and there's nothing. I'm not judging that. I'm just saying like as a viewer I, f- I always feel like i'm missing the context of what is going on with the greater stories that all these different characters are on these paths i can kind of tell that that's going on but i don't get it totally you know what i mean mm-hmm. uh it's a little less simplistic like you turn on a cmll match and the story's right there you know i mean it's self-contained it's not as um strung together and that's not even criticizing it, but I always feel like, damn, I'm, I feel like I'm missing something here. Like why are these girls crying so much? Right <laughs> but the, the action in that match was really phenomenal. Um, I, I do think the match was, I saw some of those early scores and it, I was expecting something a little bit higher, but it was still really phenomenal. Um, where would, where would you go? Like grades wise on both of these matches? Uh, I'm like four and a half on both of them. On both of them. Wow. Yeah. So already we're off to a 
pretty strong start for <laughs> excursion match of the year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not far off from there either. So yeah, uh, definitely recommend both of those matches. If you haven't seen them, um, you should go out of your way to see them. All right. Do you have anything uh, for us this week? Um, I think I do. Do you? Yeah, I think uh, I want to recommend us watching this uh, the American Dragon and Curry Man versus Gucci and Goto Junior Tag Tile match they just put up from uh, March 21st. Okay, awesome. And then I am going to recommend the Tomohiro Ishii versus Luke Jacobs match from Rev Pro on December 16th. Okay. So check that out. Also, um, there was a really fantastic, we'll get to it, I'm sure, but there was a really fantastic uh, match from Dragon Gate this past week where Shingo Takagi wrestled um, uh, Mochizuki in his, I think, 30th anniversary match. So kind of getting to see those two guys lock up again in Dragon Gate. It's fucking wild. Yeah. Yeah, that should be fun. We'll definitely check that out in the future. All right, well, that's going to uh, wrap things up for us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to review the new beginning in Nagoya and cover everything about the upcoming tour. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media on X. Follow us at KI Strong Style, at Social Suplex, and at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. Follow us at Facebook.com slash Social Suplex and the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group on Reddit. I'm the pro black guy, and Josh is keeping a strong style. Join our Social Suplex Discord server to interact with us and other wrestling fans. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. Check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio with Richard Latta and James Boyd. All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin Tumowitz. Imps WWE Adventure with The Implications, Matthew Mayer. Wrestling Art with Chris Lings. Tunnel Talk with Ali, Ann, and Leah. And the Trish and Sarah Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's your bone. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.